Remember when your friends told you about Envy on the Coast? How about Never Shout Never? Check. Check one, two. All right, here goes nothing. If timing's everything, stop telling me you're taking your time. I know you're anxious, but you're running your mouth like you're five years old again. Or there for tomorrow. Your initial reply hit me undercover when I lost my head to it was out of its time, it was undiscovered as I caught my breath again. You were running out of These artists and more started off as unsigned bands, spotlighted in our monthly APNR section. Do you want to be the first to know about the newest, coolest bands before they're signed? Then check out the brand new APNR podcast. Hosted by web editor Tim Karen, the APNR podcast features over 45 minutes of music from unsigned bands all over the world as well as plenty of insight as to what they're all about. Download an episode now at altpress.com slash podcast or subscribe through iTunes so you can start telling your friends about the next big thing before they beat you to it. Remember when times were better, when times were better than this. We never had to remember when times were better, when times were On his Facebook page, Census Fail lead singer Buddy Nielsen has listed under the category About Me the following likes. Dogs, People Who Don't Give a Fuck, Charles Bronson, Charles Bukowski, 80s horror movies, shitty tattoos, blue ducks, video games, supporting actors, Mexican food, California, blowing my nose in my shirt, people who are actually from Italy, and watching people trip and fall down. Under dislikes, he lists the following. Socks with sandals, cats, people who snort coke, dumb people who make New Jersey look like an Italian paradise, loud Italian men who go to clubs, people who say, what, do you think you're better than me? Conservatives, people who are closed-minded, the Jersey Shore, people who are Italian but are from New Jersey, there's a theme, driving over mountains in the snow, Gary Shandling, DJs, electronic music, criminals, the word no, and getting raped. I think you get the vibe about Buddy. A New Jersey 2002 graduate from Ridgewood High School, James Anthony Nielsen was the son of two soap actors before his parents split up and his mom remarried when he was in middle school. Not liking that job of delivering flowers he had, Buddy, as he became called, absorbed himself in the world of punk rock and hardcore music, posting an ad on the internet looking for like-minded musicians. Soon enough, crafting Senses Fail to consist of Buddy on vocals, Mike Glitta on bass, Dave Miller on guitar, Dan Trapp on drums, and Garrett Sablocki on guitar. Before they could get too far with their first EP on the local ECA records, a six-track thing called From the Depths of Dreams, Drive Through Records snatched the band up briefly and re-released the EP in 2003 with two extra tracks and a little better mixing. A now infamous stall, lasting roughly a year, nearly crippled the band as they unsuccessfully tried to negotiate what they felt would have been a livable deal with Geffen Records. But eventually the band, frustrated and turning cynical already, landed instead at Vagrant Records. 
Within no time, that label got the band working with producer Steve Evitz on their first full-length, 2004's Let It Unfold You, a career-making record whose singles for Buried a Lie and Rum is for Drinking, Not for Burning would become live set standards. Between 2004 and 2006, the band grew like a wildfire, crisscrossing the country on numerous tours and squeezing in three rounds on the Warp Tour as well as the 2005 Taste of Chaos Tour. Guitarist Dave Miller was replaced by former Midtown member Heath Saraceno, and the band began work on its soon-to-be Brian McTiernan-produced release of Still Searching. But not before Buddy Nielsen would almost fray at the ends, suffering from severe depression and anxiety attacks. He later admitted to struggling with the writing of Still Searching due to the numbing effects of the antidepressant Lexapro that he was taking at the time. October of 2006 saw the release of that new record, producing two new fan-favorite singles, Calling All Cars and Can't Be Saved, and a nice little 5 out of 5 star review from AP. By the time of their most recent release, Life Is Not A Waiting Room, in October of 2008, Buddy, having now gained control of his life, dealt with bassist Mike Glitta's departure from the band to do his own thing, asking Hot Water Music's Jason Black to step in temporarily, or permanently, depending on who you talk to. The following summer of 2009, another road bump would be hit as Heath Saraceno announced that he would also be leaving the band at the completion of the Warped Tour run they were on. The band, now having fulfilled its contract with Vagrant, is now assessing the new music business models available to them weighing their options as to whether to sign back onto a label or go DIY, a street-level atmosphere that Buddy would be all too comfortable living within. As one person commented online about Census Fail recently, they're the one sceny band that seems to get respect. Undoubtedly, it's because what Buddy Nielsen feels and thinks is what you're going to feel and hear from him every night on the stage. Raw, unedited, and at times brutal, Buddy Nielsen is the real deal of authenticity on a stage. If he hates it, he tells you. If he hates you, he tells you. Maybe it's because the band feels as though they've been chewed up and spit out so early in their career that it just kind of all makes them all just a bit wiser and just a bit more rebellious as to how things are usually done and the excuses that are given for the way those things are done. In the midst of his Facebook page, Nielsen has a quote from Charles Bukowski that reads, an intellectual is a man who says a simple thing in a difficult way. An artist is a man who says a difficult thing in a simple way. If what Bukowski said is true, then Buddy Nielsen is most likely one hell of an artist. This is Mike Shea. You are a, I don't know what we call a master or a student of jiu-jitsu? <laughs> student, yeah. Student. I wouldn't, okay. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say master. I'd say novice <laughs> training. Okay. Enough where you could probably kick my ass. So, <laughs> and, and, and underneath, when you go into Wikipedia and you, and you type it up and it comes out, it, the meaning is the art of softness, which which would, if somebody was like, would kind of know the stereotypical image of of Buddy from Census Fail, they go, he's not soft. It's weird because it's it's um, I, I actually didn't know that that it's the <laughs> art of softness, but I, I guess it's kind of like um, practical ways to defend yourself. It, it was built. It was Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, Gracie mm -hmm. Jiu Jitsu was built by a guy who was like you know one hundred and thirty five pounds, and. 
he created a, uh, an, a, a system of fighting that worked for him where he could fight people bigger than him and use leverage and technique versus strength. Because that's the idea. The idea is that if you, you, know, if you become a jiu-jitsu black belt, then you are able to control yourself and, and no self-defense against somebody who's much, much larger than you. And then you would be able to, if not, you know, if not hurt the person, get away from the situation. I mean, the basis of it is, defense, is self-defense. It's kind of turned into a sport. Also brought into UFC, MMA, and things right, like that. Right, right, right. And you're a fan of all that. You like oh, to watch yeah, all yeah. the extreme mm-hmm. sports. Uh, is that stuff fake? Is any of that no. fake? No, that's real. It's really, it, it, it's very, um, I would say it's very homoerotic. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, though. it is. Yeah, it there's, is, there's a lot of gay guys. It, I like it. Yeah. It's, no, no. I mean, like, the idea, uh, the, the, I think one of the funniest things about men is that you, the, the sport, they're beating the shit out of each other. And then they like you. You see them hug each other after the fight, and it, sometimes they'll kiss, like uh, you know, like <laughs> right. just, European because, style. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you, I think there's like it's so lame, but it's like there's some honor in in going to the level of like you fight me and I fight you, and whoever wins wins. No, there's no BS. It's this is like you clearly have beat me <laughs> <laughs> in physical combat, like you know, and. That's all you can really ask is that 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 it, it, there's something really strange about that is that it, it at the end of the fights it, they could hate each other so much but they will always hug and congratulate each other and be like dude that was that was intense I mean we just beat each other up for 25 minutes and <laughs> like really badly when did you start doing jiu-jitsu ah uh, like I guess like two and a half years ago. Was it anything to do? Because you know, um, I suffered for years with panic attacks. Oh yeah, and, and oh, I know, no, and that's, that's something you've gone through too, and and. Uh, um, part of it was agoraphobic, and yeah. but, but but when you really start studying about panic attacks, a lot of it though you were st- like you were suffering from like from from you've been quoted as saying like from around five years old to about ten years old, yeah, or so, like you had it, and um, uh, and uh, is part of it is you got to release mm-hmm. energy mm-hmm. out of your system because they yeah. happen because you're there's nothing happening to release energy, and so your body overloads and short yeah, circuit one hundred percent. So is that why you started doing it? Yeah, I mean that was one reason. Um. It, it was definitely that was one reason, and and I was in like a I I was in a bad not a bad relationship, but I was in a relationship that wasn't. Um, it was a you know we lived together and everything. The, the one that ended up in the in the, yeah. in the record, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, we ended up living together, and 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 I wanted out, but I didn't know how to do it, and it was my first real long relationship, so okay. everything it was just, you know, everything that could happen happened. Right, you know? and, and I started doing it just because I would wanted to. I was like, "Oh, I can get away. I can go. I'm, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that." So I started doing that, and but then I just it was just like I need to have some like. I always played sports, which is really funny. Like I played, you know, football, hockey, and, and lacrosse. You would be a good hockey player. I just see you as a <laughs> yeah. hockey player. I was a terrible hockey player. Really? I was a terrible skater. I couldn't skate. <laughs> I started my freshman year and I couldn't skate. They just used to put me out there and I used to try to fight people. And I, they, <laughs> the coach would put me out there to to piss off the team's best player to try to get him in the penalty box or kicked out of the game. So I would literally just try to. I had no skill, but. <laughs> I just go out and try to start fights because it wouldn't matter if I got kicked out of the game. It wasn't like I was going to score or anything. I was terrible. But then I got a little bit better. Well, I was never great, but I I, li- I just like the aspect of it just being like the team mascot and going and trying to fight people. 
it's, yeah. it's like that movie Dodgeball. You know, it's like a character in there. You know, yeah. Wimowitz, get out there. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly. Yeah, that that's what I was. I was just the small. I wasn't the enforcer because I wasn't going to enforce anything. I mean, I couldn't really even stop. Like I had to do like like I couldn't do the hockey stop for the first you know six months. I had to like make a giant. Uh, U-turn it makes you pretty easy prey at that point. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got I got messed up a ton. But we're uh, we actually are connected via Facebook, and I was uh, yeah I had to cheat and look at it like okay, well let me see what his likes are, and um, it's it said in there that one of your shows that you like is Ghost Hunters. Yeah. Now, I, I, listeners, you guys you just got to give me a break here because I'm recording this two days before Halloween, um, and I ra- railed on them about four or five days ago on my Twitter account. I don't. I. I it's I, real. I believe in ghosts, but don't you think that some of these guys, they're just, you know... They're, I think they're, they're funny they're because of half of them are from New Jersey, and they're like, oh, dude, did you just see that? Dude, 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 did you hear that? And it's, I think it's just really funny. I just, I like that aspect of it, and it's... The only reason why I, I, I watch probably almost every episode, and there's about four episodes where something actually happens. Right. All the other episodes, they don't catch anything, and I, that's why I think that they're pretty legit because half their shows, they don't catch anything. They're just bad actors. Yeah. Oh, when they do like the Roto Rooter, like. Yeah. They're yeah. just, yeah. They're just like, yeah. I mean, South Park made fun of those shows about yeah. last week or something like that. Yeah. They're making fun of it. Like, what was that? What was that? Did you see that? <laughs> I, I, I enjoy it. I, I just like, I like that stuff. So I, I like, they do, they find a lot of weird stuff in New Jersey. New Jersey's famous for having a lot of weird, weird things. What what uh what didn't you you call Long Island the armpit of uh, the East Coast or something? The armpit like of New Jersey. Armpit of New Jersey. I think you I thought you had called it the East Coast, but it's uh yeah you definitely um wh- why don't we talk about that? Because actually I was doing research on you and I did I really couldn't find that much about you know it's like okay your mom uh, was a soap actress mm-hmm. and she was on a couple shows and and she's on uh, Broadway too. And Broadway, yeah, that's right, that's right. And um, and she's directed a couple of your videos. Mm-hmm. She's is she going to continue to do that? Or? Nah, she, she, just, know, she, she's doing her own thing. She kind of I don't know what she's been doing. She just went back on Guiding Light, didn't she? She did a little. They brought her back for some sort of I don't really end of the series thing or some of that. Yeah, something like that. And then she's writing. She's writing for a couple of them too. Oh her, wow, her awesome! Friend well, that's great. Some here and there stuff. And you, uh, it says that you were, uh, you uh, were actually brought on screen for yeah. a little bit of time for Guiding Light from 84 to 85, so the year you were first. Just, yeah, I, wasn't, year old. I don't remember anything. My right. character is still on Guiding Light, though. So we can actually buy, or get on Hulu or something like that and see <laughs> old sh- series. AJ is his name, I'm pretty sure. Did you, did you, I don't, you didn't do anything on the screen? No, I never, screen I, never, or I, never I mean, I never like you it. didn't, like, wet yourself on screen and no, like, I don't think so. or something like that. I think though, I, I think I could be an actor. I don't know. I ne- I wouldn't want to be. I don't like actors. No. I just have just the weirdest cuz your 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 dad. Yeah. Your dad was an is Yeah, it was also a soap opera actor. I I have a problem with the, the art of acting and how it affects a person. But you're a singer. You're a lead singer. Hey, but I don't act. You know what I mean? I don't. It's still about the expression of emotion. Yeah, you know, I, but I but, think it's my emotion I'm expressing. It's not someone else's, and I feel like a lot of actors I'm around, especially really good actors, they don't have any sense of self because they're constantly someone else, and their job is to lie and be something else and not themselves, which could work both ways, which means that you either have to know yourself very well to be able to portray someone else really well or the opposite you have to have no sense of self that you can totally involve yourself in someone else 
So I don't know. I, I've always been weirded out by actors. That that because it, it feel, it's a very self serving industry unless it's live like Broadway like that is that is the ultimate I would say that that is like the you know that's the ultimate craft of acting. So being around your parents, you can actually tell the difference of somebody that does stage. Oh yeah, television I mean, or yeah. Film. I mean, being be, being on Broadway is like being a, a credible band. It's like you, you can't I mean sing dance. It's all live. You're doing two shows. You're, Sometimes two shows on a Thursday and a Sunday. I mean, that's ridiculous. Ridiculous, you know? Really crazy. And and you're doing what? One, two, three, four, five, six, six shows a week. You know, and you can't mess up. <laughs> I mean, you do. You know, it happens. But you, you really have to be so good at the presentation of song, of singing, dancing, and acting all at once. So there, there wasn't a lot of... Um... Details about your high school time, mm -hmm. high school years. I mean, mm -hmm. it was something like you delivered flowers for a little while mm -hmm. for a 55 year old Asian woman, I think is yes. how it was. And you hated it. Um, but what were you like? What were you like in high school? I was just, I was confused. I was a little bit of everything. I was friends with everyone. It was weird because I, I mean, I listened to punk rock. And, what bands were you listening to? Um, Bad Religion, No Effects, um, Black Flag, I got way into that stuff. Descendants, like that was like the stuff that I first started listening to. Um, I, I mean, the thing was the Jersey local scene was so good that all of our influences for Census Fail mostly came from going to shows in New Jersey. Slash most of most of the bands in New Jersey, at, at, you know, around the turn, you know, what, what is it? The turn of the century. Is that? Would you call yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. guess you can call it that. Yeah, 98, 99. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you graduated in 2002. Yeah. So, yeah, turn of the century. Around the turn of the century. And <laughs> sounds weird. weird. Yeah. It just sounds weird, yeah. That were heavily influenced by New Jersey, New York bands. That mm -hmm. there really was, like, no need for any outside thing. It was like you have such a great local scene where there were just shows going on constantly all the time. And all the bands are really good. You know, because there were only so many record labels and nobody toured like they do now, you know. And so I got heavily into that when I found that. I, I guess I was just – my freshman year, I was just a normal 14-year-old kid who didn't know what was going on. That just, you know, was like, I'm in high school. I don't – I guess I was kind of an awkward person because I was friends with everybody and I didn't really subscribe to one kind of deal, mm. you know. I mean, I played – football but i also played guitar and you know were you offensive had a or defensive for the football or what i played defense yeah. defense yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know I, and i had a a, a a you know blue hair it's uh, it's just really weird. nobody messed with you i mean i mean our school actually as as much as i hate to say it was very very liberal and very monitored as to you just don't treat people bad like uh -huh. there wasn't a lot of that there was it was there but it was very, very much like everybody was just like you, you don't go you, there wasn't this overt classical like high school things going on where there's right. bullies and there's this and that there were you know there's just it, i feel like people there's some respect instilled in you 
I don't know what it was. It was just a weird thing. I mean, we didn't do proms. We didn't do things like that because we didn't want people to like. They didn't want to do a prom queen because they didn't want people to think that, that anybody was better than anyone. Things like that. Like, <laughs> wow. Like, yeah. like if you even got caught saying something racist, you were destroyed. Or even something like um, misogynistic or, or something like that. Like, there is a very. I mean, there's a very heavy. You can't do that. So wow. Yeah, which was kind of cool. And I think everybody that I've grown up with seems to still have that. You know, we just kind of – we never would go out of our way to – there weren't fights. There were the occasional one. You know, there was kids that would get kicked out of school, the kids that would do drugs and show up. But it really was like those, those, you knew who those kids were and there were only a handful of them. Mm-hmm. So it was it was just strange. But then the other the flip side of that was that everybody – was so focused on I need to do well in school. Everybody took it really seriously because it's like you come from this area, I guess wealthy area, you know? Um, was that Englewood or Ridgewood? Ridgewood. Were, I mean, it's Ridgewood. weird because yeah. like when my my mom lost her job after my parents got divorced, we lived in Ridgewood, but we didn't. And my mom had no money, so we, so we didn't. It was real bad for a while. So it was really strange. To, but she didn't want us to leave our friends and stuff so she you know figured out a way to make things work and, mm. and we stayed and then she ended up getting married to my stepdad um who actually i have a stepbrother who's my age who was in my grade who's like my best friend which is pretty funny but that's great so i um we my mom went through a lot of hard times with that so it was cool it was cool to be able to experience what it's like to not have money right to not to it, to, for your mom to struggle and to see that as a single parent and to understand like that aspect of life, you know, especially when everybody around you has lots of money, then it's really like you just go, well, it really doesn't, that really doesn't mean anything to me because mm-hmm. it, that's not my goal in life. That's not something I want. And a lot of kids, you know, that I grew up with, it's just like, I need to get straight A's and I need to go to Harvard and I need to get a job working for a bank and I need to make millions of dollars that right. is the goal and that is when you're surrounded by that like when you you get into punk rock it's awesome because you just hate everyone <laughs> it's it's really right. a satisfying feeling to be around that and just be like your morals and your view on life is so materialistic and just terrible that i want to destroy so when did so how did music come into play with you like what, what was it like it was because you were going to shows and Hanging around, and you're like, you know what? I'm gonna pick up a guitar, or but maybe there's this. What was it? I always wanted. I was. I think the earliest, the, I mean, the first record I ever got tape was um, Master Puppets. So, oh, all right. That was like the first thing I bought when I was in like fourth grade or something like that. So, and I, I my dad played guitar. He was in a band. Oh, too. that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. It's just kind of, you know, that that was just something that always. And I started playing guitar probably when I was fourteen after i got into like metallica and right. and that sort of stuff and after you know when i think you know when 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 rancid got real big when those two bands blew up they really got a lot of young kids into punk rock mm-hmm. so and i was one of them so i was kind of like i heard that i didn't i don't i, didn't, I, I don't love rancid but it got me into listening to all the epitaph stuff all mm-hmm. the you know all the bands that i really liked so there's a, there's a there's a number there's a lot of stuff that's out there that says you know well then he, you know he, the, then the band came together, 
Mm-hmm. But what, like, were you in... Uh, I was in was... other bands. I was in more... I mean, I used to... I mean, I really, 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 you know, grew up listening to mostly just punk and hardcore. Like, and that was it. Like, I didn't like any of the emo stuff. Like, I hated it, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I was like, this is... I'm, I'm, I'm not listening to this. Um, And then I heard Thursday, and I was, it just blew my mind. Because it was like... I local boys. It was and, just just that yeah. the the emotion and the energy is what captured me. Is that it wasn't fun and punk, and it wasn't political, mm-hmm. but it wasn't completely slowed down. Right. It was like everything all at once. And and I I mean, you know, there are tons of bands that came before them, but that was in my face that I could go see right. and be like, wow, you know, like that's that that and that took me from wanting to do elements of hardcore and punk rock and mix it with something that's, you know, more artistic, I'd say, just a little bit more uh, expressive than, than say, like, just a punk song or a, or like, a hardcore song. So if there was a, um, you know, from the depths of dreams, mm-hmm. which was, and it's funny because I just uh, spoken with uh, Max Bemis and... He did something with ECA as yeah. well. Yeah. So w- w- talk to me about um, – because the story is, is that uh, – I'm jumping forward here. But, you know, you got you, you pulled together a band. Yeah. And and it, how did that happen anyway? That's well, the redundant I mean, there, there used to be there used to be this website. It was called Ska and J. Ska. And it was like really, 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 really ahead of its time because the Jersey scene was so awesome because there were shows going on like all the time, constantly at people's houses, at VFW halls. I used to put on shows. Our guitar players put on shows. If you had a band and you wanted to play, you just put on your own show and you invited other bands to play. Like that's just what you did. You didn't play clubs. There was no club. I'm not playing at a club for someone. Like that's, you know, you put on your own show and and a lot of charity stuff too. There's a lot of food things called food not bombs. So you bring a can of soup. You know, there's also a lot of like. V, like I, grindcore vegan bands, like mm-hmm. I mean, crust bands too. But I, I, we there was this scene online. It was a message board, and it's just like you just. It, I found it one day, and it's like all these shows and people talking about records and just everybody, friend, like a community, like an actual community. <laughs> it's really mm-hmm. the first time that I. It was way ahead of its time, and then um. There was just a section that said, like, band members. And I'm just like, I had a band called Anti-Clerical, which actually means the same exact thing as Bad Religion. (laughs) It's the same thing. I mean, we played a couple of shows, and it was just really just a Bad Religion ripoff band. And um, that didn't really end up working out because, you know, one of the guys was going to... He One of the guys got a girl pregnant, and it was just like, I was like, no, this isn't going to work out. They're going to... This is not... This is not a functioning thing that's actually going to happen so i posted a thing online kind of was like here are my influences blah 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 blah. and then garrett our guitar player responded you know with his influences and he lived close and i like brought over me and a couple of guys in my band and we we're total opposite because he's just like had a black shirt jeans and converse and like you know rimmed glasses and was wearing a get up kid shirt and i showed up with like you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> tight jeans and 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 like a mohawk and the other two kids too and it was just like but there was something about his guitar playing and and just about like what he was playing and he played me all these other bands i'd never heard of like grade mm. you know like stuff that i didn't 
really get into that had just been around you know he played me the first thrice record things like that you know and i was just like gray area too things like mm, that that okay. i really he was more listening to that stuff and i was more listening to this stuff but then he got me into a lot of that stuff and we kind of just i don't know started writing songs i originally played guitar in the band i wasn't the singer so the first songs he wrote like dreaming a reality on there i mean like i played guitar on that and i played we played our first show at my high school i played guitar and sang um which and, nobody knows about. That's pretty funny. I mean, <laughs> I was a guitar player, and then we just couldn't find a singer. And we had all other different people in the band. I mean, the band technically started in, two, like, 2001. Mm -hmm. I just, like, we started doing it in 2001. Got it together, played a couple shows. It wasn't really working out. And then... Yeah, yeah your, your occupation on Facebook is a singer. I think it's in February 2001 yeah. to current or something like that. Yeah. 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 So we had one... Um, I guess, um, what do you call it? One version of the band kind of was just like, this isn't going anywhere. And I was trying to figure out if I wanted to go to college or not. And I had no idea. You know, I had no idea what I was going to do. I went and visited colleges. I hated it. I was like, I'm not going to high school again for four years. I can't handle that. And so Garrett kind of found some more people. You know, Dan, our old guitar player and, and some bass player that nobody knows. But we got together in February... 2002 wrote the ep and just went and recorded it and that's pretty much it and then started playing shows and eca heard about it wanted to put it out pressed like a thousand of them you um you did that with um uh john neclero is that mm -hmm. how you say his last name uh john neclero neclero all right sorry the, the eyes in there he's done like every band from these not a every, recording everybody studio. that i mean from yeah, yeah my cam to thursday to to brand new to take it back Sunday. To How did you get hooked up with? He's just the he was just the dude you go to because because the story is that you guys had a couple EPs of material kind of. Well, yeah, we just had a couple. We had we we had a bunch of songs. We yeah. didn't and none of it was recorded. Um, okay. And so what did you just you knew about him or well, everybody? Just, I mean everybody in that area. Every local band. I mean you know it was just kind of like you just heard that blah 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 recorded with him and you can also call him and he'll charge you 200 bucks it's fine you know so we we're like ah oh, man let's just do it and we did it and it's i mean it's really just going in there and doing it so how did the eca thing come out they just hit us up really us, you know we're just like hey dave dave was just a guy and he was just like i want to put out the record we're like sure cool and we actually got in got um approached by two people from a major label who lied to us they probably, I think they probably worked in the in the mailroom, and they, literally, it really was. I mean, I'm glad that I was. I mean, I was 18, Garrett was 17, Dan was 15, I think, maybe 14. That's really scary, but mm. they wanted to like do something with us, and they tried to give to have a sign a management agreement, and it was just like I was like, yeah, get out of here. When we were recording the EP, they were like, here's what we're gonna do. And I'm like, nah. No man, no you guys no. So Dave wanted to sign. We didn't sign anything. We just he was just we'll put it out. I was like, cool, do it, let's do it. Pressed it. We had like a CD release show in this VFW hall. There's like three hundred kids there, and I guess drive through heard about it, you know, and um, that was just pretty much it. It's just like there you go. How did like when uh, Richard Rains runs drive through? Um, 
What was the procedure in that? Like, was that something where, you know, you obviously got an f- email from him or a phone call and yeah. then, you know, you, you turned to your, your, you know, your parents or somebody and said, okay, now what the hell do I do? Because they were um, in the entertainment industry or something. Like it that. was kind of just, they heard, you know, talked to us for a little bit, flew out to see us play and then said they wanted to sign us. And then it was just like, well, <laughs> Carrot needed to finish high school. Dan was just going to drop out because he was 15. He was in his sophomore year, and he it was going to go into his sophomore year. So he was just like, uh, you know, I'm going to just drop out. And then, um, yeah, our parents got together and just kind of a, a micromanaged situation. We got a lawyer and then did the deal. Yelled at our lawyer. We were just, which she was trying to protect us, and we were stupid and didn't <laughs> listen to her because Richard was like, if you don't sign it now, we're not going to want to sign you, which was, you know. Unfortunate manipulation of young individuals, but so, and your lawyer was saying, "Hold out." Oh away. yeah, she was like, "No, no, no, no." This happens all the time. We're like, "Dude, no! What if they leave?" You know, is it, that's a, that's a common problem for a lot of young bands. Yeah. Is they fall for that. They, yeah, you know, you don't jump now. Yeah, I know it is. I mean, we did it, but I I I, I don't take anything away from Drive Through as much as people want to, you know, hate on them for what they, they were responsible for. All those bands. You know, they're a model for a successful independent label, mm-hmm. really. I mean, they did a lot of good things for a lot of good bands for a long time. And, you know, I I wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be in a band, neither would Newfound Glory, neither would Midtown, neither would any of these bands have without drive through So, right. you know. Well, they re-released that. Yeah. Like a year later in mm-hmm. 2003. And then you started doing some tours. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, it, uh, it, it's like the, the, it's stated that it's, it's sold, you know, quarter of a million or so. Well, yeah. At one point when we, it was, actually there's an alternative press article about how yeah. we sold a hundred thousand records. That was a lie. Hmm. And that was completely inflated. <laughs> 100%. We had not sold a hundred thousand. We might've sold 30, hmm. you know, because we, <laughs> I remember talking to, to our booking agent and we did like a headlining tour with, with North Star it was like our first, we did a co-headline tour. It was really awesome. I mean, it was 50 kids showing up at night. And I'd go, what's, you know, like, what's going on? Where If we sold 100,000 records, why are there only 50 people here? Booking <laughs> it's like, dude, you did not sell 100,000 records. That's complete bullshit. Like, you did not. You probably might have sold 20 or 30. Like, don't, you know, everything's cool. Like, you didn't sell that many. Oh, but the gullible press. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, everybody was gullible. I mean, it, Geffen picked us up because of the fake numbers, which that was a whole process. <laughs> that was just the, being on Geffen and dealing with that and, and that whole thing. You know, we've gone through so well, many. The, the next record with Let It Unfold You, um, it came out on Vagrant. So did you go through the, all that mess prior yeah, to that? Do you want me to explain the whole Vagrant? Well, I, I mean, and this is like what I was saying before. Like, I, I apologize oh, for no, that. Oh, no, no, no. Do you want that? But I just mean, because there's going to be people listening to that, to, to, that never... That don't know. That, well, not only that, but never they don't understand really how it. the process yeah. went. Because I think that the, some of the quotes you said was... And you said this in that in issue 196 yeah. of AP. It was uh, the, the, the one with the used on the cover. Um, you said, we didn't want to change ourselves... We don't want to have the pressure that if you don't sell this many records, then you're a failure. And that is something that a lot of these bands today don't know about. That, yeah. you know, the pressure went back then. We used to get upsold well, it was, it was, these yeah, labels. It was They're like, like, oh, now we need to change it for radio. Yeah. Can you uh, redo the song that you've been doing for yeah. five years? Yeah. It's <laughs> just like, but that's what's still, I mean, back then, that was what, 2002, 2003? Yeah. Still, nobody, 
Thrice had just been signed. Before downloading Thursday, killed everything. Yeah. Thursday had just been signed, and it was like take it back Sunday. So it was like everything was getting really weird. And basically, what happened is we sold a bunch of records on the EP. We started doing pretty well. Geffen funded Drive Through Records. Well, MCA turned into Geffen funded Drive Through Records, which means they were have the ability to pick up and take a band if they want. They took Midtown, they took Newfound Glory, they took something corporate, um, they took the starting line, and then they decided to pick us up because we were doing well and they wanted to have the next record and they wanted to work it and, and try to, you know, sell a hundred thousand you know, five hundred thousand to a million copies. And the weird thing with our, our situation was we had already written and recorded our entire record before they picked us up. We'd already written Let It Unfold You. It was all done. Everything was in the bag. We had the we had a manager. Um his name was Bino. He managed uh he manages Deftones and System of Down and things like that. Cause we were like, Oh, we we're on a major label. We need to get a major label manager. We need to get a serious guy for support because you're dealing with a whole different league and ball game of people that don't respect independent music and don't care about where you came from and don't care about the scene. You know, you got to walk in the door with somebody reputable. Yeah. Yeah. So that you have some sort of clout, but basically everybody, you know, in in major label, normal major label fashion, they picked us up. This is a weird time. They picked us up in August. Our record was ready. We wanted it to come out so we could tour and move on with our lives and move forward. Right. We didn't hear anything back from Geffen until January. They picked us up and nobody talked to us until January <laughs> because they picked up a band. Their their president got fired. Jordan Shore took over, mm-hmm. who is he, – he used to refer to me as Bubby because he didn't know my name. <laughs> he, he would call me Bubby. He thought my name was Bubby. Um, he, he was – it was in transition, so nobody – that worked at the label that wanted to pick us up worked there anymore. And he was coming up and then it went through the holidays where the industry industry shuts down completely. So nobody even listened to the record, even knew the band was on the label until January. So we're sitting around doing nothing, trying to figure stuff out, you know, what's going on, what's going on with our management kind of yelling at our manager, just being like, well, dude, well, we just want to put the record out. So they finally come back to us. They have a big meeting. They go, you know, we actually recorded a couple other songs in between, uh, rumors for drinking, uh, buried wow. a lie, and then another song, or th- those two songs for just to add on to the record because I'd already been telling everybody to basically download it because it was already on the internet, you know. And then, so we recorded those. We're like, we'll we'll have something new for it. And uh, so they heard the record. They did. They were just like, it's there's no there's no hit. There's no radio hit. And we're like, well, what when you what do you fucking mean? No radio hit. Like. I, no, <laughs> like, no. So basically fired our manager because he came back and told us that there's no radio hit. And we need to record more songs. And I said, no, we're not doing that. No, tell them that they want to put out the record or they drop us. Um, They're like, no, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're like, I think that's stupid. Just go write a couple more songs, you know, just see what you do. Put you in the studio. It's not that big of a deal. I'm like, but it is a big deal because I still don't believe that you should write music for radio. If you write songs and they end up on the radio, fine. But if you're actively writing songs for the radio, then I think you're a sellout. I, 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 Changing yourself to get yes. to where you want to go. Yeah. And um, so we didn't want to do that. So I flew out to meet with Jordan Schur in L.A. to kind of like have this whole discussion where he was going to win me over, brought me into, you know, brought me into his, his, his uh, office. And he's got, you know, 
They've got Nirvana. It's really, really, it's really, if you bring a band into one of those places, it's terrible. If, if, they, don't, if they don't have strong skin, they're just like looking at Nirvana and you're looking at like, you know, for me, Jawbreaker. And I'm like, wow, like, this is insane. Like, you see their records on the wall and then you see like Limp Bizkit and Puddle of Mud. And we're just sitting there and talking about stuff and talking about like, I, I hated this guy because I wanted to make the music I wanted to make. And I didn't want to be on Geffen. I didn't want to be a part of this whole machine. And, and he was just kind of like, you know, look, I'm going to make your band. But it just, it, this start, could all be yours. Stip, I'm like, dude, you're responsible for shit I hate. I was like, you're responsible for corn and you're responsible for Limp Biscuit. You said that. Yeah, I was like, you're responsible for stuff that I don't respect. Like, I don't want any of this, you know? And we wrestled with the idea, like, I was there all day just being like, you know, I, should we stay? What should we do? Like, what are our options, you know? And our, and our booking agent, Andrew Ellis, who's really kind of been there for the whole entire band and always given us, I always trust his advice. It's just like, just, you don't want to be there. It's not going to be good. And it wasn't. And it, 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 the label completely has fallen apart. And right. every band that was on it completely failed. Not failed, but, I mean, you know. They've really messed up the starting line stuff. You know, they've messed up the whole Finch thing that they had going at the time with those two bands. And they didn't know what they were doing. And I sensed that and I knew that. I didn't want to be a part of it. So we were kind of like, we want to go, we want to go somewhere else. So was the whole band in unison in theory? Like, or did you go back home and like everybody's like, you know, some of the people were like, well, come on, man, this could be our chance, you know? Mm -hmm. But I, I, yeah, I mean, some of us felt like that. Some of us didn't. I kind of, I guess, had to take a, yeah, I kind of always kind of dealt with everything, you know, everybody has an opinion, but it's kind of like, yeah, I don't know. You had to make a decision. Yeah. Somebody had to make a decision. Nobody wanted to make one, you know? <laughs> so I was just like, no, I'm not, I, I don't think that it's right for the band to be on a major label at all because I, I don't, I, I, I know that it sounds stupid, but I still believe that punk rock bands shouldn't be on major labels. I, I don't, I know that, you know, so many of my favorite bands and so many bands that are way more punk than we are, are on major labels. And have do you think what, hap what happens? Like, you know, there's been so many books written and you know, articles and everything written about, Oh, you know, what happened to the Ramones and what happened to the pistols and you know, everybody. And, uh, um, you know, what do you think happens when you have a band that is, comes from the counterculture, so to speak, and then they go join a culture? You get jaded as a band. You get jaded as to what, as to what mu music means to you, and you start to – you get really jaded about the whole process, about playing shows, about interacting with kids, that it just makes it so not when you were pissed off in 16 at a show. Like you lose all aspect of that, and you turn it into this whole other thing, and you also get older and go, man, I need to make money and take care of myself. So you justify things that you wouldn't have believed in when you were young just because you think you were stupid when you were 16, but really you just cared about something. And just because you're 16 and you care about something doesn't mean it's stupid to care about it when you're 25 or 30 or 45 or 50. And bands just don't care and there's no repercussions and there's no music scene. It's the internet now. So there's, you know. The only thing that's still alive is there's still hardcore. There's still hardcore, and that'll always be there. There will always be hardcore and punk rock bands, but nobody knows them. I mean, they're not going to – you know, Bad Religion, same thing. I mean, 
But then you you know it's a slippery slope because you could say that Anti Flag should never be on a major label. I'm good friends with them. You know, we've talked about this. It's like, but their whole thing is, I want as many people to hear my message of of what we believe in. Because they're on Sony now. They, I don't know what they're, they're on. Or, now. They're, or they're, maybe they're not anymore. They're maybe on they're RCA. They, they, were, were on, right. they put yeah, out their right. own records. They've done right. a million different things. But right. I, it, it, it's all a matter of what you believe in. Like I, I could really, I just think personally, I'm glad we made the decision, and, and I and I want to end being in a band saying that I was never on a major label and I never had anyone tell me how to write music that I never once went back in the studio and said, we need to write a song to make somebody else happy. There are, do you, you don't um, hold it against those artists Mm -mm. who do, as you were kind of saying, like they get married they want to have a house that, that at least is yeah, decent. So I like do too. I, you know, like they're like, well, I'm turning 30. It's a youth culture thing. Yeah. I, I either go for it or I'm never going to get it. I live it's, at my parents' house, you know? I don't have any money. You know? Um, but that's the decision I, I've made to be in a band, you know? And one day, yeah, I'll change that. <laughs> one day, I'll, it'll, I'll stop being in a band, you know? I mean... That's going to happen, but it's just like, I still care about that. I still go to shows. I still stage dive. And I, I, I know it sounds, mo- it, it, most people just think it's, it's childish and it's stupid to even talk about. Like on Warp Tour this year, when I would get really angry and talk about it, people are just like, you're an asshole. And I'm like, I care about this and I care what it meant to me. And it meant so much to me as a kid and opened my eyes to so many things that I just, miss i feel bad that kids don't have that you know and even if you can i think if you watch our set there's just so much anger and passion in it and that's all i want bands to come across with just that there's angst and that you have a message and that you it doesn't have to be it just needs to be an accepting message for everyone it needs to be that that's my problem with with the whole christian thing Mm. okay I don't believe in in the ideals of Christianity discounting other people and I know that they say it's it, it, it's really hard to get around it but I mean I grew up catholic I've also my mom used to take me we used to be catholic we were protestant we were um buddhist we would go to native american like i know a lot about what i'm talking about you said something in an interview we said like after september 11th you and your family just gave up yeah kind of at least on i mean really man we just go to church every sunday and then after 9-11 we stopped going forever wow that's another thing too that i think people don't think about bands from new jersey and new york turn of the century they were heavily influenced by 9-11 like wow, extremely influenced. I mean, why do you think the music that came out of there was so aggressive and and I don't know, it was a reaction to that. I think I really think that it was a reaction to to that to to living in that area. Like I think a lot of the records that came after that, it was you, you don't know you took some pride in being where you're from, especially after that, and that. Because you kind of always, there was always somebody that somebody that somebody that knew somebody that was killed that day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still a it small, wasn't, it's also, it's just millions fact, of people, but there's still a small community. It's just thought. It's the fact that you live so close. You thought you were actually going to die. Like you know, I was like, I'm going to die. Like I don't, you know, it was. But Where were you on 9/11? In school. Really? Oh, yeah, okay. So, but everybody thought they were going to die for a brief moment. And that's really scary. And if that ever happens to you, 
I've, I mean, I, I know it sounds lame, but I've talked to friends who've gone to Iraq, and it's like there's this rush. It really, it was really scary for a good two, three hours of just nobody knew what was going on. You're running around trying to find your family, trying to just everybody really trying to get to one place. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, and it made me want to be more involved with music and punk rock. I mean, even Gerard has the same story. I mean, that, you know, story that he always tells about being in my chem about how he was going to go into Cartoon Network and, and pitch a show and was going to take the ferry and then it happened and he ended up was just like, dude, I need to be in a band. I think it makes you actually realize what that, what life is, you know, as opposed to now. I mean, a lot of the kids, that's not their reality. A lot of these bands, they, that's not, and I, that's like a whole generational Eight gap. Eight years later. There's a whole generation of, of new people that they're not defined by that, and they didn't live in that area. And so I think that especially bands in the area at the time were heavily, whether they consciously admitted or whatever, but the scene and everything was really different. And, and, and I mean, New York City is enough of a, like, has enough of a vibe anyways. And then after that, it was just kind of like, I don't know. I've, everybody felt, I think, um, some sort of scar or something. You know, just you know, it's really weird. It's a really weird thing to go through. Wow. Um, you know, you were talking about um, basically sticking to your principles. The, yeah, the band has stuck to their principles. Um, the, the people that probably think too much <laughs> would say would propose. Um, maybe they're afraid of success. You know, there's um, that there's that psychological thing, fear of success. Yeah, no, no. Kind of subconsciously sabotage yeah. everything that's going right. I'm very familiar with that feeling, <laughs> but not with the band. I mean, okay. I want to be successful, but I want it, I don't want it to. I want to be in control of everything. I'm tired of the music industry. I'm tired of people. Nobody cares. This is something that somebody said to me from Vagrant, which is so true. And he says a lot. I mean, I say it to other bands, like bands I'm trying to help out. And so nobody's going to care about your band more than you. Right. Ever. Period. Never. Ever. And most bands lose that, that somewhere along the way that they think that everybody's, everybody really cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares because more than you and nobody and people care and then they stop caring and we've been through it we've been through it with labels with managers people care and then they stop caring you know fans care and then they stop caring you're the only one if you don't make music for yourself you're going to be very disappointed Dave Miller said a quote back then yeah uh, when the articles were around when you guys were going through all that crap and he said we've been fucked over so many times and we've only been in the industry for two years Mm -hmm. we're not taking shit from anyone anymore yeah I mean, is that we, pretty we much were. what your mentality was? Yeah, it still is. It's it, We were really, a lot of stuff happened in a really short amount of time. And we became real smart. That's also why we're still a band. Because you have to be smart about what you're doing and be involved with your band. A lot of bands that fail, fail because there's nobody that's intelligent in their band enough to make actual decisions other than just reacting to things. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say business decisions, but business decisions and also just what to do, how to do it, when to do it, why to do it, and collectively making intelligent decision because 
most people in bands just don't pay attention. You said a great quote, and I wish that this could be printed out and put on a banner <laughs> on the inside of every guitar center in Sam <laughs> yeah. Ash in the country. I'm, I'm not kidding. This is a quote. It's hard to be in a band for more than five years. It's really hard. It's even harder to be in a band for 10 years. Yeah. I'd like to be in a band for 10 years. Just to, I, 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 I think it's a, You're pretty damn close at I know, this point. I know. Almost eight, it's eight years, so. I, what I, don't, what don't, and you've talked about this a lot, about the new generation of bands and, you know, they never had to go and book a show in a basement. They yeah. never did anything. So what don't you think they get about that longevity issue? Well, I just don't think they get the passion of it being a counterculture. So do you think you need that in order to make it past five years, so to speak? I think that you have to have some, like... Hatred for some... Or rebellion? Rebellion or just anger. You have to have okay. some anger that fuels you to for you to make meaningful music. And you have to go out on stage. Like, if you... I love playing with bands that I don't respect. Because I want to... The people at their show, I feed off the fact that I want to show them something that's dangerous. I want to be in their face. I want to talk about what I believe, you know, morally. If at a Christian show, I will talk about my beliefs because I don't, I want them to see that music is not safe. It's not supposed to be safe. It's not, it's never supposed to be safe. And especially punk rock and especially hardcore. It's not supposed to be safe. It's supposed to be challenging and it's supposed to open your eyes to different things. Good music is supposed to make you think. It's not supposed to just be there. It's not supposed to be background music. It's something you're supposed to listen to and digest, not put on while you're drinking. I think. You know, I don't count that stuff as music. That's why I don't people that's why I, I, I don't get the whole new hipster thing too it's it's with everything it's like the indie music that i listened to when i was growing up was just killer it, it was just amazing and the lyric lyrical content and the musicianship were just out of control and a lot of the in, indie music now it's so based on style and it's so based on on seems to be void of of a lot of content just like every other genre it's it's not just this genre it's in hip-hop it's in indie music it's it it's it's the different generation that's not looking to subculture for community because people lack a sense of community there's the community i mean like i'm a big fan of joseph campbell and mm -hmm. his his whole thing he talks a lot about community and a lot of his explanation explaining of where you know how people act and how people are just through mythology and explaining you know, a, a common, like, um, what do I say? Collective unconscious, just that there's no community and people need a community. Everybody needs a community. And my community wasn't my church. Like people used to, you know, in the fifties and even earlier all right. through, you know, up until maybe the sixties went church was a community. That was your, where we all meet. This is my friends. This is where we see each other. This is what we believe. Mm-hmm. Punk rock, local shows, the scene, the scene, the actual scene, that was my community. And that was our community. And that was what we had. And that's what we believed in. We, you know, there was veganism. There's, you know, feminism. There was just every kind of different person rolled into one and every kind of different real music, you know. And now I just think that the community is so focused as to 
personal personal gain and that there is no community that even at these shows these people are coming i don't think they know each other they don't you know if you go to a census fail show i don't think you're coming from like a local scene where you're all like i don't know there's 10 kids you go to shows with you know and you're all going to see each other at the show just by way that it's like we like this music of course we're all going to end up at the same show i mean you still see that like when i go to hardcore shows i see the same kids Right, you know, I see the same kids because they're still we. You know, they're going to be at the Sick of It All show and the Face to Face show, and when Bane plays, and you'll see, you'll know, you'll see that you know, Painted Black plays. You'll see the same kids. It's I, I don't know if kids have that sense of community where I could walk up to that guy and not know him, but just be like, dude, like, how you doing? I see you at shows a lot, you know, and make friends and have that go somewhere. You know, I I, it, I don't want to blame it all on MySpace and and Facebook and all that, but it's like. I also don't think parents get blamed enough in, in how they raise their kids to react to this different kind of world without, you know, sports is a community too as well. And, but I think for people that don't play sports and aren't Christian, there's not a whole hell of a lot for you to get into. I, and that's why I, that's why I know for a fact and 100%, that's why kids are so into Christian music because it's a community. Mm-hmm. And it's a safe community that your parents will let you go to. And that's why Christian hardcore and metal and everything has become so big because the local music scene, I think, has so died that there is this um, national Christian scene, you know, where there's Christian clubs and there's blah, 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 and this and that. You can go to all these shows and and you feel like a part of a community where everybody's welcoming and you all believe the same thing. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't, you just pretend you just go well these are my friends and and i like this kind of music and this is what i'm going to do with but but don't escape i mean you can still go around to you know abandoned shopping malls or something like that or where there used to be a big box store someplace Mm -hmm. and be empty and there's still the skateboard fans you're right you're right hanging out there and you know we saw this happen a couple years ago down in mexico city where the emo kids yeah that would hang out yeah certain spots and they were getting the crap kicked out of them and so there is a community, I guess, in a way. It seems there? it seems like it, but it just seems diffused. Diffused. There doesn't okay. seem to be anything locally. There is in New Jersey right now, and and PA. There's this really awesome music scene. A lot of like pop punk, hardcore bands, and it's really cool. It's really awesome because they're all putting on their own shows. They're all like friends with each other, and kids are going to these shows, and it's it's really awesome. And they're all kind of coming out of like northern New Jersey. South Jersey, Philly, like Wilkes-Barre, Scranton. It's, and it's really, really awesome because it's – my big thing is that you have you have the hardcore scene that's always going to be there. You have the punk scene that's always going to be there. But now it seems like if you play anything poppy or catchy, you can't like – you know, you're just going to emerge. You're not, you're not coming out of a music scene building up, building up. Like every band that I was around, you play local shows and you build up and build – it doesn't matter if you're – we used to play with every kind of band. It didn't matter. You it, that that was the deal. You know. Now it's like you can't play poppy music and really have any credibility. It's almost unfortunate. And that's the cool thing. Like this band, Man Overboard, that I think is really awesome. They have this whole thing. It says defend pop punk because their whole thing is like, dude, we're hardcore kids, but we like catchy music and we want to play catchy music. Right. And just because, you know. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't hate any of these bands, but I'm just saying, just because yeah. All Time Low is viewed as kind of a pop punk band, when they're really just they're just straight pop band, right? And there's kind of like, oh well, they're emo. They're just 
they're just a pop band. They have nothing to do with this music scene, you know? And these guys are like, we're hardcore kids that play pop punk, like defend pop punk. It's, it doesn't have to be void of any emotion or it doesn't have to be void of it. You can make poppy music and have it be void of image. I was kind of felt like reading all of your statements about contemporary music mm. that pretty much your philosophy is kind of akin to um, Jason Pettigrew, our editor's philosophy that he mm. has, which is um, remember to shut off the computer and go outside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's life out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, um, we take two music breaks. Uh, I'm not done talking about Let It Unfold You yet, but, um, but let's talk about, um, uh, give me two bands, two songs uh, that, um, give me the song that probably was your favorite song, your anthem back in high school. The one that was like, you just started really getting into, into punk rock and, you know, Black Flag and No Effects and all this. And it was just like, that was my song. I, I, um, I heard, uh, what, what kind of thing? Um, you by Bad Religion. Mm. I think that was the song that was like, wow, this is really cool. I like this. And they got way into Mill and Colin. I love Mill and Colin. I freak out of Mill and Colin. I don't know why. We got to tour you with toured them. toured with them, yeah. It was yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. We got to tour with, I think, all my favorite, all my, all my, the bands that I really freaked out on, which is crazy. And give me the, the band on uh, the song that um, probably in, was probably like a, even if it was subconsciously at the time, inspiration for when you were writing Let It Unfold You. I mean, it's always my inspiration. I mean, it's, 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 my, it's, the, be it's the best. I think it's one of the best songs I've ever written. But uh, um, Sweet Avenue by Jesse Brazil. Hmm. Okay. I think that's my all-time favorite song. That's my all-time favorite record. Whenever I write lyrics, whenever I, I have to do anything creative, I listen to that record because I honestly think it's probably one of the best records ever written. So if there were, somebody's listening today and you're like, you want to give them a suggested record to go listen that to That would right be now. Orange Rhyming Dictionary by Jets Brazil. There's a place where everyone can be happy. It's a beautiful place in the whole fucking world. It's made of candy canes and plain and fry red juju trains and the meanest little boys, busters and little girls. And you know, I wish that I could go there. It's a Say 
rain I walk down to the train Try not to look down This day could someday be An anniversary Everything is light and sound Facing forwards, going slowly Wait for you to show me Where this train wants to go Living by the hour I Stop for every flower Everything is soft and slow Now all these tastes improve Through the view that comes with you Like they handed me my life For the first time it felt right
Um, there was a uh, a person's comment, but it's kind of like the review about Let It Unfold You that I saw online. It said, it is so dark, <laughs> it, had made, it made me feel dark and brooding just for listening to it. It's just funny because it's so not dark. It's like, I mean, when I think dark, like I think like black metal, <laughs> I think some really dark stuff. But I get, I mean, I guess it, I don't, that's so, that record's so foreign to me now. Because really? I wasn't, I wasn't a real person when I wrote that. Really? I was 19 years old, 18, I wasn't, I don't, didn't consider myself a real person. Like I'd, I'd been through some things, but I didn't know how to deal with it all. I hated uh, for the first like six six months of doing interviews for Let and Fold You, I wouldn't talk about what the songs mean because I was afraid that people would think that I was coming off as trying to spiritualize or or sound like I know too much. That they, that these songs really mean this to me. Like I didn't want to tell people that I wrote a song using all words from the Tao Te Ching. Like I thought that that would bum people out. I was really like self conscious and nervous about that. But then I was just like, I sound like an idiot. If I don't explain it. So, I don't know. No, I didn't want to explain the name of the band. I didn't want to... I don't know. I didn't I didn't want people to think I... It was, I guess, it was kind of like scary opening myself up like that, you know? But, I mean, now I do it all the time, so... <laughs> but, that, I mean, that record is... I guess it's dark. I guess it's a, just a reaction to... You're coming out of high school. You've been through some stuff. Not really. This is kind of what you think. But you don't know where you're going. And you're young. I think that's why maybe people can relate to it. You said, I'm sorry, go on. No, no, I just just blew that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, No, no, because I was thinking about lyrics. And uh, you you said at one time, you said, I think real simple lyrics are the best lyrics. When people get artists with their lyrics, uh, when people get artists with their lyrics. Artistic, maybe? Yeah, artistic. Artistic. (laughs) Thank you. No worries. You lose a lot of the meaning behind it. You can do that. Um, but you have to be really good at imagery and make it just amazing. When you spend too much time thinking of abstract words to use and pictures to paint, you end up with only you knowing the meaning. Yeah. Were you afraid at that time that's what you were doing? And that's why you Maybe didn't... some of that, some of, some, some of those songs are very, a little bit more abstract, but I didn't really understand the concept of trying to write something simple. Hmm. You know, I was just kind of, do you think that was a lesson you learned off that record? Yeah, that definitely. That's definitely a lesson I learned. I mean, because I mean, I you know, my main lyr- lyrical, my lyrical people are Blake Schwarzenbach. Mm, okay, um, that, and that's my guy. Like, so I tried to copy a lot of his vagueness. Okay, but he's a you know a fucking English professor, so it's <laughs> kind of like you know, <laughs> I, but um. That 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 was definitely an inf- I mean, Chris Connolly too from Saves the Day. Those sure. those are like my two guys that I and definitely Jeff too from Thursday. Those are it's those are like the people that really I don't know that I when I first started I copied straight just wanted to copy Chris like just straight up you know with all the bloody imagery and stuff like that. I was that straight just Chris Connolly. You know, <laughs> I've told him that too. Really? What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> do you, uh, that's so right. It's so about 
How many? I don't know. I don't. I honestly, I have no idea how many records we it's sell. Quoted as sold three hundred thousand, but no. now that after that other thing, I don't know. Maybe it sold forty. No, no, that, that was just drive through. That was just drive through <laughs> okay. inflating right. the numbers. Never know. Never know. Um, the uh, you guys went on a warp tour. You've done four warp tours now. Yeah. Oh four, oh five, oh six, and oh nine. Yeah. That first warp tour, because that was like probably was that like your first fully extensive cross country, massive, everybody on the planet tour. Yeah, that was the first time we did something like that. And, like, did that... Um, do you remember learning much? Like, coming yeah. off of that tour going, I'm changed. Well, you gotta not... You, you learn You learn that, like, you can't be an asshole. And you can't... You can't... That's the thing that young bands don't understand, and we didn't understand. We learned it when people want to kick your ass. Or, you know, because it wasn't me or anybody else, but when when you have... When you are young and maybe you have a guy in your band that likes to get loaded and run around and just be an asshole and or, or just act, you know, immature, like nobody wants to deal with that. Like it's fun to be in a band, yeah. But you're it's weird because you're conducting yourself around child adults. I can I consider myself an adult child. Like I'm in a band which makes me a child, but I'm also still an adult. I don't act like a moron all the time. So I, I, now I know looking at younger bands going, that was me, or not me, because it was never me. But yes, there are people that acted like that within Census Fail, which now I, I, then I was like, oh man, I don't get it. I totally get it now. So you just learn from that. You learn from that. But the problem is now, everybody is supposed to be friends. That's the thing. Like on Warp Tour, if you don't like someone, it's like, dude, why don't you like, I don't, I, who cares? I don't want to be friend. Like, I don't, I don't. Does it matter? Does it really matter? Does it really matter if I like their band or not or want to go talk? Like, is do we have to all be friends? I mean, I know that sounds very pessimistic. Well, it's all about you got to be cool with the scene and you got to be. Yeah, I, I don't, you know what I mean, though? Why can't you chill? Yeah, it's why, you know, why, you know, why, why are you always talking shit about everybody and saying all this stuff? Like, why, why can't you just, like, hang out and have a good time? It's like, I don't know, man. When you don't know, when, 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 when I wear a Gorilla Biscuit shirt and you go, who is that? Like I want to punch some. Like I get. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> what are you talking about? But isn't there always? Again, Jason says, you know, um, it's always new to you. You know, it's kind of like you got to start someplace. You do. I think you should start when you're 15, though. <laughs> Not when you're already in a band making music that other people are listening to. Got it. But that's just me and my opinion. You know? Got it. That's what I also, I also say. It's a disclaimer. Like I think people take what people in bands say. It's more like this is my opinion. I don't care if you care or or do care. It's I don't, this is what I think, and I'm not right or wrong. So you know, and I'm willing that if you talk to me and convince me otherwise, I'll yeah, you're right. You know, I don't. I, I just I think when people voice their opinion in this music scene now, it's considered to think that you're better than everyone. I'm not better than anyone. I really honestly don't think I'm better than anyone. I just have care about this deeply. Mm. And when people don't care about it or don't even know about it, which is most, I mean, you know, it's hard for me to go watch the band or like, or, you know, and it's something that we talk about. It's something that our bands Older bands on Warped Tour sat around this year and talked about. 
really? constantly, all the time. That's all we would talk about. We, all the bands that have been around for years, we'd sit around and we'd go, what is going on? Where did the, who are these people? Where, where did they come from? What is this? You're kind of talking about like all the uh, the techno kind of poppy stuff. Not, not that? yeah. I mean, th- yeah, pretty much. Just yeah. Where did it come from? Who are all these kids? Why do all these kids like it? And we're old. Like you know, you're only 25. I know, but I've been doing it for almost 10 years. I feel like you feel 35. Yeah. <laughs> but no, we. I mean, literally every day we'd sit around and we'd talk about it. That's what it just kids. It. Yeah, I think you said um, may have been in our piece one of our pieces um you said that there was a generation gap yeah i think so i think it just hit everyone i think i know i mean we talked about it with bad religion and and less than jake and and even brian baker who's hilarious but even he was freaking out about it (laughs) what are all these people what are they why do they look what's going on man like where where and it was so much different it was so much different this year than the two years ago we did it it was like all these bands around that were bands, you know, that we knew that toured with. Most of the bands that we toured with are broken up, except for like, you know, thrice brand new. Um, Thursday. Thursday. Saves the day, kind of. Saves the day, kind of. I mean, other than that, it's really kind of like, you know, Glassdoor plays shows now. I mean, but it uh, there's really not a ton of. I mean, so I have do you to feel, think about it. Do you, do you feel, not to sound melodramatic, but do you feel like there was some loneliness on the tour this time? On well, program? yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a complete, ge- there's a complete generation Like a gap. massacre had happened. There's a, there's and, a, yeah, there's a complete, the older bands park with the older bands, and then there's this, sometimes they'd set up a little caution tape. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> Who would put that up? I don't know. The was, older bands? Yeah. <laughs> You getting yourself in trouble? Um, so, I mean, really, was it was it that kind of a bummer for you? Like, it was just kind of like, did it make you stop going? Did you stop? Did you ever have that moment where you sat there and went, "Well, maybe time's running out here"? No way, no way. I, I don't think so. I don't think I don't I don't think so at all. I'll just we'll just wait it out and just keep doing what we're doing, and all those bands will break up. <laughs> they will. No, they will because they will because that you, you, you. If your music isn't about, isn't your livelihood in being happy making music, you're gonna break up because at some point, it's gonna get really hard to be in a band. You'll have to go back to touring in a van. We do it. You know, you just you, you, you have to make sacrifices if you want to make music. You're not gonna sell three hundred thousand records. Ever now, maybe, but <laughs> right uh, consistently, you know, you're gonna have a drop. It's gonna happen, but I, I, you know, it's like I think most of those bands, most you know, the con- newer contemporary bands that are doing well, I don't know how much they love music as they love being in a band. As they obviously, I don't think they really grew up in in a tight local scene that makes them have, like I said, passion for that. I don't know how much they love. I mean, you know what the weird thing is, and we and Jason Black talked about, and he, right. it's great to have Jason around because he's, you know, he's. I mean, he's probably it's his fault most of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. A bunch yeah, of dudes with beards music. screaming about right. emotions, you know, <laughs> scaring the shit out of people. Like I blame, I like to blame bands on him, <laughs> but uh, you know, he he talks. He's like, dude, when I was like, 
when he was in high, even when I was in high school, I mean, you know, the people in bands were the outcast losers. You know, now they're the popular kids. You know, so what are they getting into a band for? Where is their? They're a football player during the daytime, yeah. and then at night they're in a pop punk band. Yeah, it's weird because I did the same thing. I did. I mean, I I played like the most preppiest sport in the world. I played lacrosse, but I was still also the complete uh, outcast of the whole thing. I mean, I had a lot of friends. It wasn't that. And my school is very different, but I still deeply inside did not. I hated being around how shallow and materialistic the people were that it drove me to, you know, to not want to go to college, to not pursue that. I felt an emptiness. I felt a complete emptiness that nobody understood, that I try to explain to people, and they, they just weren't thinking like that at that age. I mean, I was, you know, given books by... I was reading Charles Bukowski and freaking out, being like, you know, people... And I'd try to... Re- I'd have girlfriends, and I'd talk to them about that, and they'd be like, you're fucking nuts, man. Like, <laughs> you're nuts. Like, I don't know what you're talking about over here with your Joseph Campbell, Dao Te Ching, like, you know stuff i don't know where you're going like i just want to make out <laughs> you know and i'm over here talking about that stuff and freaking out and being like well, why doesn't everybody why doesn't people why don't people care about this or why don't they want to so i i as i didn't feel like an outcast i completely felt like an outcast because i felt completely alone in in until i went to a show you know until i started going to shows but even when i didn't when i wasn't at a show and i was at school I, uh, and, and going to parties and stuff, I'd just be depressed just because I'm just like, this is not, I don't want, this is not life and I cannot go to college and do it for another four years. Right. You know, that's not what I'm looking for. You know, after, uh, after that record came out and you talked about how um, it just started steamrolling because mm-hmm. that, that record, Let It Unfold You, is, is seen as a classic. I guess it's weird. You know, and as considered right now, like you, this is like you bring up since fail, that record comes up right yeah. off the top of the head. And but from then that time period, it's like, yeah. Um But it talks about you you've spoken about the, the pressure and it was building up because you did Warp Tour and then you did Taste of Chaos two thousand five. Mm-hmm. You're on our cover. Yeah. You, I mean, so that's just a small portion mm-hmm. of the amount that you guys were building up your record company. Yeah. It's like, come on, we got to build you, build you, build you. You had already started working on still searching. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, the panic attacks start kicking mm-hmm. in and you started, like, there's talks about like you had to leave a Pedro the Lion show. Yeah, it sucked. You- I've still never seen him. <laughs> I went, I've gone twice to see him and had panic attacks both times. It sucks. Maybe it's the band. No, Pedro the <laughs> Lion's great. I, I wanted to go see one of his house shows. I didn't get to go. They all sold out really quick. That would have been really cool. Um, and then you talked about like uh, with your girlfriend at the time you were you were about to board a plane or something. Yeah, yeah. And then you you had a bad attack yeah, yeah, or something, yeah. and and you just couldn't go. Well, I mean, the whole deal with that was because your grandmother had died. And well, yeah. My, well, this is a really long story, but I'll, I would tell it because I, I, I if, if that's cool. Yeah. No. I please. Mean, I mean, my grandma died. We were on tour with Silverstein. Let and fold. You had just come out. Everything was going good, but I, I mean, my grandma helped raise me because my 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 parents worked. Well, obviously, like we used right. to live an hour away from New York City, they were working as soap opera actors and actresses, so they'd go really early and stay really late. So my my grandmother raised me for various. She lived with our family up until I was probably ten or whatever, and right. even then, she ended up moving back into the area. So she was very much a mother to me, a part of me. So I I I wasn't able to deal with it. 
and I didn't deal with it. I ignored it. I was on tour, and I was like, I'm not, I'm not going home. Um, I ignored it, and then I got home, and it was just like it was just, but it was the first time I've ever really had somebody I care about die, and I tried to suppress it, and it just actually just 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 took over. Like the the anxiety of losing somebody, it took over because I was trying to suppress it and not deal with it. Touring helped you escape. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. So when I got home and I had to deal with it, it was just like, whoa, I've never dealt with this. This is so crazy. And my mom was going nuts. And then it just kind of took off was, from there. It was your mom's mom. Okay. It, was t- t- it kind of took off from there, and I didn't know what to do because I had it. I mean, I had it literally 24-7 panic attacks probably for, I don't know, eight months. Wow. I lost so much weight. I couldn't eat. It was crazy. I felt like I was going to – I felt like I was dying. I had to go to <laughs> – I started having them. And a month later, I had to go to Europe in the winter, which is just – I don't know how to explain it, but it's 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 really dark and it's, it's different. And you're so far away from home and it's not good if you're having anxiety. It's really bad. How did really you get bad. through that? I, 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 I didn't did get you- through it. You don't. You just. I mean, did your band members all there, and you kind of nobody. Pop- I mean, nobody. There is no. You can't deal with it. That's. It's one of those things you have to deal with yourself. You can Nobody can help you with it. So you didn't. They didn't know. They knew. Oh, they knew, but they didn't know like, what to do. No, nobody knows what to do. It's one of those things you can't. So how did you get through that? Like, what did you? Do you have a process in your head? Like, no. okay, I gotta slow down my breathing. Um, now I now I do that. I no. know, but then what? You you just let it happen. And... I just had no idea. I just freaked out. Got it just went nuts and you know came home and then started taking medication for it and that is the only thing that st- i needed to do that to stop the constant panic attacks i couldn't stop it on my own i needed you know what i mean i needed mm-hmm. that to stop it and then um i just we started doing that and everything got a lot better i mean in, in that time too is when we were on conan i forgot the words to my own song I mean, that was just anxiety. I mean, I was just freaking out. Like, I couldn't. Were your management or anybody at the time saying, maybe you got to take some time off? No, fuck no. Of course not. Nobody said that. But, um, no, I did Conan. That's why I forgot the lyrics because I was just freaking out. I mean, that anxiety, uh, my anxiety on top of the actual anxiety of doing something like that is was just, and then I just, you know, broke down even more because I was just like, I blew it on TV. Wow. Like, it's, it's, I mean, it's pretty cool, though, because I've embarrassed myself on the largest scale, so I'm not embarrassed by anything. <laughs> I'm not embarrassed by nothing. Nothing will faze me. If you've never forgot the words to, a, to your own song on national television on a late-night talk show, then you don't know shit about embarrassment. <laughs> it was something. Do you, um... It was something, but I like that I, uh... I like that I went through it because now I'm not. I could do it. I could do anything. It's like having care. a near death experience. Yeah, I was. I felt like I was gonna die. I really, the fear, the the the, the it felt like, every, all the blood and and everything dropped out of my body when I opened my mouth and didn't sing anything but just mumbled, like everything just went, like just out, completely out. I didn't know what I was doing. It was crazy. So I, you know, started taking medication and deal, dealt, tried to deal with it that way. Tried He's, to go to therapy. Went to a Freudian psychologist. I was stupid. Why were you stupid? Freudian. I don't like Freudian psychology. Oh, all right, okay. You went. So you find another uh, school of 
Well, now I know I went to, I went to him for a long time, and that and while we were writing, still searching and stuff, and so I was going through coming. Still searching is all about that. It's like mm-hmm. I think if people say Let Unfold is dark, I'd say that is that is dark. Like that is some dark shit. Like I was, it was really bad. Like it was real bad. Because like, that's also the record that uh, the breakup of your girlfriend and everything. No, so no, it's the one after that. Yeah, uh, the one after that. Um, it, just for those of that are listening now that also suffer from panic attacks, do you still go through them? Yeah. Struggle? Because yeah, you stopped the taking the medication. Because <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was part of the thing about still searching. Is yes. You were on Lexapro. Yeah. And you stopped because yeah. you couldn't write. Yes. Well, or no. It depends. It, yes and no. You couldn't feel it? Like well, you I wanted, wanted to, to go into the studio, uh, not on it. That's right. Yeah. Okay. I mean. Because it does numb you up. Yeah, oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, no. I mean, I still have them. I just know how to deal with them now. I've had them for so long that it's just like. So how do you deal with them? That's the magic. You just you just accept the fact that it's happening and that it's not it's not going to happen forever. You know what I mean? That that's the hardest thing when it first starts happening. You go, I'm going to be like this forever. Fuck, like I'm losing my mind. I don't know how to stop it, and you just obsess over it instead of really. You just have to cons- like. I have it a lot when I'm hungover. <laughs> I get really bad anxiety when I'm hungover. I breathe like I, I breathe. It happens a lot in the morning. When I'm sleeping, that's like kind of okay. when I have them. Like those it, ones that they sh- they shake you up, wake yeah. you up. Yeah, I yeah. just breathe. I just breathe and just think. I literally, I meditate. Let me think about nothing. Think about nothingness and breathing. And you really just need to find something just to walk away. You just need to. Uh, it's a cliche. Go for a walk. You just need to fix your mind off of what. The best thing that I learned is figuring out why you're getting anxiety. That is the root of the problem is when you can figure out what it is and why. Not only what it is, but why. Why do you get nervous? Like I just got nervous talking about that whole thing. Like I kind of felt like I was having a panic attack just because it's like, you know, I I don't necessarily think about it every day and talk about it. So when I talk about it and like relive that whole part of my life, I get – I'm like, oh, shit, like feel that way, you know, but – you just need to it's it's so much uh it's, it's a personal thing you know mm-hmm. it's you have to actively open your mind and f- try to figure out if you can figure out what it is that causes anxiety like just like i got anxious talking about that i'm not going crazy but that when i talk about that it gives me anxiety you know so it's like i'm going to move on in this interview and not talk about it and then you know what i mean like it'll i will not bring myself to the cliff to the edge of where but even then it's like you're not nothing's gonna happen you're not gonna die right you're not gonna die you're not gonna free you know nothing's gonna happen that's what you have to tell yourself you really yeah you really have to go this is and it's not forever it's how are yours mine used to be that the heart would go crazy yeah and my palms would go sweaty yeah. and then things would start going numb yeah and i thought i was gonna pass out yeah and so then i had to slow down my breathing yeah, yeah, yeah. and if i had to call somebody just to talk myself through it yeah 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 yeah, definitely. And I'd do a lot of that because I'd be on tour. I'd just be like, <laughs> and being on tour is terrible for anxiety. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's the worst. But you said a quote, and uh, um, it was, uh, it was uh, AP number 220, November 2006. So it was right after Still Searching came out. Um, and you said, because you were off the medication by then, and you said, I feel like my life is better than it ever was because I feel like a human being now. Instead of somebody just floating through life. Yeah. I mean, that's what it does to you. But sometimes you need it. Like sometimes 
you can't. I couldn't eat. I mean, I, it was seriously to the point where it's just like, if you're feeling that depressed and that terrible, go on it. You know, because it helps. It it has helped me multiple times. To it really does, but it it, it doesn't allow you to have any highs. It doesn't allow you. You know, so it's like a last. But you know what? It also makes me feel good that that is an option that I know works. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm never going to try I would never want to be on it again, but like, shit, yeah, I don't know. Right. You know, for some unforeseen thing could happen, and I just won't be able to handle it. And, and, and it, it's better than, you know, it's better than drinking yourself to sleep every night. You know what I mean? That's the way I look at it. It's like, I'd rather be on medication than drinking myself to sleep every night because that's just that's way worse <laughs> you know that's just perpetually self-medicating i mean the whole the whole idea is to be able to rise above any of that and, and understand that it's not i've also created ocd things to deal with it really like little o's <laughs> it's so stupid but i take I, it's so dumb but i'm like i'm i became a hypochondriac really because I put all my anxiety, anxious, nervousness into that. I don't really believe that. I, it's not to the point where it gives me anxiety. Right. But it gives me the ability to get rid of my anxiety. It's almost like it's so really you, strange. So you got to be freaking out about this swine flu thing. No, I don't care about that. Wow. No, that's not. I, I'm more concerned with like. So it's Deadly. not like as good as it gets like with the germs and everything. And, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I just like to research it online. And find out about it. And then I'll just, oh, there's my anxiety. It goes into that. That's that over there. So you research diseases. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> you know everything. Yeah, I know so what's the disease that could wipe out the planet? I don't, I don't um, probably, what's it called? There's a, this, have you seen this weird disease about the flu shot? Yeah, there's like a reaction or some of that, isn't there? Oh, it's something? crazy. That scares me. This girl can only walk backwards. It's really you gotta what? watch. It's really weird. You look. It was on. It was on. Uh, it's an inside edition. So I don't know how true it is, <laughs> but it's awesome. You gotta watch it. It's like it, if you look at beautiful cheerleader. And it only affects Miley Cyrus. Yeah, I get beautiful it. cheerleader flu shot. You'll find it on on, on YouTube. <laughs> um, still searching was the first record with Heath. Yeah, it's the last record with Mike. Yeah. Um, and you said of the writing of that new record, which I thought was kind of interesting here, because I don't really hear a lot of band members talk about this at all. So that's why I wanted to bring this up. You quoted, it was quoted you saying, you don't want to come out as a new band, which is a hard thing after writing basically for three years and growing and changing as a person and musician, because mm-hmm. the road makes you age double. Yeah. It's part of the challenge to figure out what is too much and what works. Yeah. I think we're capable now of a lot of things, but they are a little over the head of senses fail. And you were you were working. This is the first record with Brian McTurnan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know he's done you know everything from yeah. movie life to Converge and so forth, so on and thrice. So the guy's really credible. Um, and you did it up at uh, Phil Perone's house. Uh, we did this place called Bearsville. Bearsville, very famous. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it, it's like so with that particular record. Um, and AP said it was one of the most powerful recordings created in some time for a band playing this type of music. So, like, how how do you mean like you can get ahead of yourself? So well, I mean, we could, I mean, we could. I, I'm fully 
think that we could write a Dillinger Escape Plan record. We could. Everybody in our band is good enough musician. Mu- mu- like I'm not actually I'm not as good. As, I can't sing like him, but we can do that. Like we, it, it's it's a matter of understanding the what your band is and why people like you. You know what I mean? Like there's only very few bands that can. Brand new is, in fact, the only band that I've and Radiohead that that really, I mean, uh, that are able to just go morph and change, and people adapt to it. But that's rare. Okay, I mean, it, it it doesn't work for a lot of bands, and, and you get ahead of yourself because you put you put your personal ego and go, well, we I need to do this because it needs to be, you know, I I, I it's too simple. I'm so much better than this. Or, you know what I mean? Like I, I we can't play that. It's too simple. We I want to do this. You're going back to the complicated lyrics again. Yeah. Trying Same theory. Yeah. Trying too hard to prove to I guess appease your own ego musically makes for bad records and bad songs. And it's proven. You've I mean every band's done it. Most bands do it, you know, and that's more main goal is I never want to write a record that that's self fulfilling to 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 prove like, hey, well, we're, you know, we're we're a credible band because we can we can write the same stuff as brand new. We can do it. We just we're here's our idea showing you so that we are fulfilled, not the listener. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Too many bands make music. For themselves, for the wrong reason, not because they're they're just like, well, I want to. I think people care too much about what other people think, mm, you know. Right. Then some people, I think, but w- when bands do that and they really don't give a shit, like brand new, like they really don't care what they're <laughs> right. Fa- no, they, like, they don't, don't care. No. That's why it works because it's like they're like, dude, I really don't care. <laughs> we really don't want to make you happy at all. We're doing this for ourselves. Period. It's believable. But when bands do it. In a non-believable way, I think that's when it's kind of like, ah, I know why you're doing this. I know why you did this. Like, your other songs are better. Do you do you feel like there was a lot of pressure on you at that point, like that you guys were putting on yourselves? Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, it needed to be. It needed to really be something special. How did you guys keep yourselves? I guess not in check, or maybe not allow yourselves to all get freaked out too much because that happens a lot with bands. They get some success and then they think the follow-up, so to yeah. speak, has got to be, ah, you know, and you're like, ah. And well, I think we're just good at knowing what we're good at. You know, I don't, I mean, and then the record after, still searching, you know, it's not as popular, but there's a million different reasons for that. But I think that it's the same deal. He went through the same stuff. It's it's a different vibe, complete different vibe. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's a completely different deal than still searching. I think at least I think all our records have themes and feelings, which is cool. Which I, I we'd never want it to be a collection of songs. Mm-hmm. We want it to be. We don't want it to be a concept record because I think that's pretentious. But I want people to think that maybe it could be conceptual. Yeah, because you talked about life is done at waiting room. Uh, which came out in 2008. Um, I never didn't know this. It debuted at number 18. I didn't know that. It's pretty damn cool. Cool. Uh, and uh, that you talked about, like, you actually wrote that record differently. Mm-hmm. We wrote it in the studio. It was terrible. I never want to do that again. Really? I hated it. it was so stressful. What is writing in the studio? What, what, what about that? It's like, just, it, it just, you get so confused. You, you just got all this shit going on. You're trying to make everything happen, and, and it's not cohesive to how we do stuff we spent a month we, we wrote some songs before we went we spent a month writing in the studio and a month recording and by the end you don't know what song's good what song isn't good because you have a, a, you know 25 songs 
and, and and you don't know what's good. You don't you don't even know what you have. It's so confusing. You have all these parts. You have all these things, and it's just you know it's really stre- I found it really stressful, but it helped lyrically. It helped me write lyrics because I was really stressed out. Like I didn't really sleep. I'd be s- sleeping thinking about lyrics, thinking about melodies. Like in the middle, just like I had to like for the ne- for like a month after just. Like turn myself off. I had to because I would just keep. I was so used to living in that like cre- thinking, creative thinking. Da, 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 you're like, constantly, and there's a deadline. You have to keep going. You have to do there it. There's no off time. Yeah. Yeah. So when I came home, I was just like couldn't turn that off. Are you hard. happy with that record? I don't know if I'm not happy with it because it isn't as successful, or if I don't like the songs. I don't know yet. You know what I mean? I don't know if I, if part of me is like, oh man, I don't like it because it's wasn't as successful, and that I can be like, well, blame it on. I don't know. I I I don't. I like it. Um. I don't listen to it. I don't listen to any of our records. Really? Ever? Never. I'll never listen to it after it's done. Really? You see that? Like with 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 you know. People like Jack Nicholson and people like that. See, I never watch my movies. No, I don't. It's done. And that's the thing to say. Do you think about the lyrics live when you play them? No, because it's not my song anymore. Like my whole process for me is writing the recording. And once it's done, it's done. It's not mine anymore. It's no longer mine. It's everyone's. Everyone's. It's no longer mine. Even the even if I, the lyrics, they mean something totally completely different to someone else than, than what I wrote, what I, what I meant. Do you ever kind of get to that point where somebody in the audience screams out a song and you're just like, I hate that song? Oh, yeah. I did it all the time. I was like, we're playing this song. It sucks. We hate it. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, you're blunt. Yeah. You're, you're very honest. I don't. Don't care. Right <laughs> on his knuckles, tattooed. <laughs> it's also supposed to be funny because I do really care. I don't want to talk about the whole broken side crap. Oh, okay. No, I don't either. But you're just talking about being blunt and being honest. No, yeah. no, 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 no. I don't, because it is. It's all over online, all that crap. But there is something I want to say, which is um, when that was all going on, mm-hmm. I'm talking about the behind the scenes stuff, and you have this battle going on. Um, were there people around in, in your management team and yeah. your record company saying, you know? Yeah, you should really do that. I was like, dude, no. No, I'm going to do it. I don't care. No. It's not your band. You know, I pay you. That's what people in bands fucking forget. You pay your manager. You pay your booking agent. These people work for you. They work for you. People in bands tend to think that they're just this, I don't know. I, uh, no. You know, you're paying them a lot of money. You know? You tell them what to do, and you listen to their advice because you hired them because hopefully that they're intelligent and they know how to guide your career. Well, then what's the flip end? Because of the number of years in the business and you know, mm-hmm. you know. You get, I get bands come to me all the time that say, I don't know if I should fire them. What if they're going to cause me trouble? They're not. What if, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk like you can't fire your booking agent because they'll ruin you. Yeah. I mean, I you know what? It, it's because it's a tight knit group. It's it's tough. I mean, that, it is tough. It's tough how you end it, you know. And, and that I think it's a lot of also your personal relationship and how involved the band is 
with the person. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it all depends on what the, what the situation is. You know, that's all that matters. I think. How do you know? Like, when do you? When would a band know that their manager isn't pulling their weight anymore? Like, what? Would well, they... I mean, when 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 they're just not. I mean, a manager should. I think times when managers don't pull their weight or when they'll commission a tour that doesn't make any money. Yeah. That's it's pretty fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, I it's just when 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 they don't when you when when you just know, you know, you know when things aren't getting done, you know when you're not hearing about things, you know when there's like nothing going on. There's always something going on. A manager should always be actively seeking and dealing and doing things. You should be able to call your manager and he should be able to pick up all the time too. Or get back to you within, you know, the hour. That's what it should be. I mean, no, there are managers like that and we've had managers that have done that, but you know, it's just that things happen and stuff changes, but we don't, I don't, I don't think we'll ever have a manager again. Ever. I don't think so. Not unless they're willing, not unless I'm willing to share in loss as well. Like, you think that's what's missing from the equation? Yeah, I think it really is, especially for a band like us. Like, you're walking into a situation where we're going to, you know, do 500 to 1,000 kids every night and sell 100,000 records and tour internationally and merchandise. And you're just going to walk in and take that when we did all the work? No. Like, you did nothing for this. Anything you bring in, you can take a percentage of. But you did absolutely nothing to create this. We did, and the people before you did, and the record label, and everybody else worked hard for years to have this. And you're just going to come in and, and straight take $20,000 off of a tour for doing nothing, you know? Do you think that, do you, there's a lot of, uh, especially now, there's one or two things that are happening. There, there's a lot of managers that are starting up because they all got laid off in the labels. Yeah. So they're starting management companies. Um, but you're starting to see consolidation within firms, mm -hmm. management firms. And do you think it's smart for a band that's brand new to get brought, to sign on to a company that has 20 bands and five managers? And you know? No. I mean, I think the best thing to do ever is to get a young guy that cares. Hmm. You know? That's the best. Even if they don't know what they're doing. Even if they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. They that, guy's desire to, that guy's going to do more for you than any manager that nobody knows what they're fucking doing. That's the problem. Managers don't know. They don't know what they're doing. They don't. They're not. That is a little secret. <laughs> they, they, they have no yeah. idea. They have no idea. I don't care what you say about the Eagles manager. I don't. They're not. They don't know what they're doing. They have no idea how why, how to fix that you're you're you know that that you're only drawing three hundred kids to the show. They don't know how to fix that. They don't know how to fix the music industry. They have nothing. They they're like janitors of your life. They should clean up and and compartmentalize your schedule. It's it's basically being lazy. Uh, no, I mean I can say this now. Because I've been through the business, and I know. There was a period you guys went through three managers in a year, wasn't it? Yeah. I've been through it. I know what they do, and I know how to do it. It's a matter of whether I want to do it. It's a lot of work. <laughs> it is, you right. know, to do all that stuff. But What do you need to be to be a good manager? Organization, I take it, right? Or, I mean, organization, I, I think, and, and ability to keep 
Have a, you have to have a lot of contacts. I mean, that's the one thing that, that you can't manage a man if you don't know anyone, because that's just not going to work. Um, and you need to just be persistent with people, and you need to be used to the word no, and you, and you need to be used to like people giving you their opinion about. Everybody has an opinion on something, especially if you manage a band. They're going to tell you their opinion. That doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Right. You know, you don't go tell the band that, you know, you don't go, well, this guy said this, maybe you should try that. You know, no, that's interesting. Have you been told too much from managers? Yeah. You think sometimes it would have been better if they wouldn't have told you something? Um, sometimes yes. Sometimes no, you know, it depends on what it is when it has to do with, what it has to do with like live shows and, and maybe things like that. Yeah. But when it has to do with money and and, and and ideas and, and touring. No, I want to know all that. That needs to be. But yeah, no, people don't, you know, people withhold stuff. I, I mean, it happens. I don't know. I think being a manager is a lot of, you really just need to care about the band and you really honestly need to be as invested in making money as they are because it, 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 managers get to take a gross percentage off a tour that before expenses. So, they are an expense, and it's like, well, I just don't believe in that because you're not touring. You didn't really set up the tour. You're not the booking agent. He gets 10%, which makes sense because he's the booking agent. He's the one who called all these promoters and set the shows up. That's great, 10%. You're just kind of hanging out. We're going to go on tour. You know, you're not coming on tour and tour managing. You're, you're putting out fires. Doing Yeah, you're doing stuff. Well, I don't know what you're doing wherever you are, but then you're going to take 20% of a bunch of money when really you should come home and take the same that the band does. I think managers, but now they want everything because they, as the labels want everything. I, I, yeah. Well, I mean, everybody thinks that it's there. Everybody goes, well, the, where are the label? We made the band big. Where the, I'm the manager. I made the band big. You didn't do shit. Cause it wouldn't matter if the band wasn't there and everybody f forgets that. And the bands forget it. That's probably the most important part. Yeah, and then and then and then when you when you when you when you it's it's almost like being like a like a, a strong woman. It's like when you stand up and go no, they're like, well, what do you mean? You just you you're, you just don't want to pay people to do the job for you, or, or you know you can't be like this. You can't like know what you're doing and ask quite like it's like you're not supposed to do that. It's like you're you're the band. You're the idiots. You don't know what you're doing. You can't tour manage yourself. You can't figure out how to how to fly to Japan. Like, are you fucking serious? Like, no, I know exactly what to do. And even if I don't, I'll ask someone. You know? Let's take our second music break. Three songs, but they're your songs. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> the song that changed the most from going into the studio from when you when you got it on a record. Oh man. The song that changed the most. <laughs> uh... That would probably be, man, half the songs. Like I, I'd say, um, I'd say um, this a song called "Map the Streets" on uh, on uh, "Life Is Not a Waiting Room." That really went. It wasn't a completely different thing. Really, a lot of "Life Is Not a Waiting Room" was one thing, and then completely became a different thing. So, how did that one? 
Do you remember? No, I don't remember really because I'm confused that song with another one because we took parts of like, we take the verse from this and mix it with this and then end up with the bridge of that and mix it with this and then it became two different songs. So it's like that song and, 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 uh, and, um, all, I mean, lungs like galas, everything that was written in the studio went just changed completely. So the song that fans misinterpret the most buried alive. Why? Cause it's not about anything. And I, I, I hate it. I hate singing it. It's the only song I've ever written. That was not emotional. So I hate it. People think it's about something. It's not about anything. I really just wanted to write a story song just to try to do. And it's not, I'm not, I don't really like it. And I hate singing it because it doesn't mean anything to me. You know what I mean? There was no, I, I, not that I relive the meaning of songs, like I said, because I I give them away and they're not mine, but it it just, I don't even remember any, the process is just so, uh, whatever. Is there, is there a fear that, Fans could come to the show and, and look up there and start thinking, he doesn't like anything he's singing. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. But I do like a lot of the stuff we <laughs> sing. You know, there's certain songs. You know, people ask me, especially in Germany, where they're just blunt. They're like, uh, you, uh, you, uh, you are very uh, excited except for Buried Alive. Why is this? I'm like, dude, I hate it. it sucks. Sorry. <laughs> you know, you want to hear it? I'm not going to be real stoked about it. I'm going to play it, though. <laughs> um. Let's go to the opposite end then for the third song. Which one is your favorite song? I don't know. People ask me that all the time. I, I really, really like songs that make people happy. That I like to play the songs that people want to hear. I forcefully try to do that, and we argue about it all the time, and every band goes through this. I want to play this song. Well, you know what? Nobody likes that song. <laughs> so when you play it live, it sucks because everybody's just like, I want to hear – they want to hear certain songs. Just play them the songs. I hate going to see bands that don't play the songs I want to hear. It sucks. All right, so why don't we change it? What's the song that you wish they would ask you to play? What's the song that I wish they would ask us to play? Um, I'd say... Um, uh, What song did? What song from the last record? Nobody wants to hear that. I like to play Blackout. I like playing that song, but I, I just know nobody wants to hear it. Why not? Why I don't know. Think? Just nobody talks. Kids don't react to it. You know, it's one of those things you can just tell immediately when the song starts. When it's when, you, when you've never really played it for people. Like we started playing a lot of stuff from Let It Unfold You. We haven't played in years, and it's just been like, why haven't we played that song? Are you kidding me? We should play that constantly all the time. That's what people people want to hear this song. Right. You know, why not play it? If I fall or trip back into love, I'm gonna play the ladder and club so I can climb right back down. If there's ever even a shred of
Research. There was a there's a there's a great quote. Um, I was I don't know if it was from Heath when he was in the band. Um, he said it. Um, no, Garrett said it. Internet rumors frustrate the hell out of you because you can't believe some of the things that people believe. So when I was out there doing research, and I'm like, I type in Buddy Nielsen and go on the internet. There was a site, and it said, uh, some weird site, and it said, um, James Anthony Nielsen, born February 18th, 1984, died July 1st, 2007. <laughs> Was the lead singer for the post-hardcore band since his fall. Death, uh, says Nielsen died of what seems to be a heroin overdose no. on July 1st. What? I'm not kidding you. Wow, let me see that. Are you serious? That's awesome. Yeah, so... Um, what, what is this from? I, it's just some site. I, it, it didn't even look like it was a music site or That's anything. That's amazing. So... I'm dead. Um, this is amazing. <laughs> don't you... Did you do something in 2007? <laughs> I don't think so. It was, it, was, it, was, it was pretty much... It was after you already kind of gone through all the crap. Oh, yeah. This is... I don't know. This is crazy. Well, just so you know. That's funny. This is just like looked like it was just typed by somebody. You know um, I mean? But you wrote and you had a blog at one point. I don't even know if you still do this blog or not. Sometimes that oh that's old. That's old. Yeah. And you were responding to an absolute punk thing. Oh, well, let me see that. I haven't done that. I used to. It was this fight was, that website constantly. It was August 9th, two thousand seven, and, and the name of it was Slander, is what you called it. And there's a part in this that I think is kind of relevant. I just want to talk about the internet. Um, you said um, they were they were talking about um. Uh, you wrote a young man wrote a little paragraph about how census fail sucks and Heath really made our last record something special. I agree with the latter part of the statement hundred percent, but then I saw something that seemed rather puzzling. The author went on to post about how I, Buddy Nielsen had hooked up quote unquote with his girlfriend's oh, best yeah. friend and gave her an STD. Yeah. And you're not, you were not the only person that's gone through that. I mean, yeah, there's yeah. so many musicians yeah. that have been accused of this stuff. Um, 
that just got me to thinking about how unfair and misleading the internet can be. And you make a great statement. I'm just going to read it for the listeners. I have had a very wonderful girlfriend for the last four years of my life, and I've never hooked up with some random girl up in Buffalo or any girl for that matter, which is what the author was claiming. I just want to defend myself against the man with a very outdated scene haircut and what he was saying about me. I would like to state I would like him to state his sources and maybe in time challenge him to a duel, one where I slap him in the face with a white glove and we take ten paces. All in all, the internet is fun and exciting. Where else can you see young kids getting hurt on bikes, girls fucking cows, hell, even pterodactyls making love to women? True. It is truly wonderful invention, but please, kids, don't believe everything you read. Does it do you think and you've talked about MySpace and the good and the bad about all mm-hmm. that? What do you do? You think that the internet is good for bands? More good for bands? It's like good. I, 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 or in the beginning, bad. In the beginning, when it was like MP3.com, there's the original. Oh, that's awesome. And there was there was some. It, there's good. There's good and bad. I mean, the problem is there's too many bands now. There's too many bands. There used to be less bands because you had to be signed to a label to be in a band. You know what I mean? But there's not enough labels anymore. There are. They're just. Signing everything because they have to sign everything to make money. Because if the, it's 20,000, 20,000, 20,000, 20,000 instead of 200,000, you know, you, you have to sign all these bands. People, I, I feel like it, it, it's good and bad. It, it, it's all, totally destroyed MTV and totally destroyed radio, which is awesome. So you cannot force feed anything to anyone, you can't force feed anything to anyone, which is. Good for bands, bad for bands, because you know, you just like 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 look at what's going on with all time low. I mean, I'm sure they're spending millions of dollars to push this thing down everybody's throats, but it's impossible. You, there's no way they're going to reach the amount of people that they could have reached ten years ago. Right. You can't even the- with the internet. There's too many places to go. There's too much. There's too many people into this and that and not this. There, it, it, it's so hard. There's it, it's really hard. It's really it's good and it's bad. It, it allows for bands to have more control of themselves and people to have access to listening to different types of music. But then it's also very hard for a band to be successful for a period of a long period of time. Yeah. Um, do you think that the burnout cycle, I mean, you had made a statement that, um, um, that it's really difficult for a band to have uh, there's just so many bands that you just need to be good enough for five seconds to stand out and then they'll blow up and go away. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the problem here, I think the problem is that there used to be five bands and 500 kids liked all those five bands. Now there's 10 bands. There's still 500 kids. You know what I mean? So, there's less people like, you know what I mean? I, I feel like there's too much of the same thing too. I don't know. I mean, I remember looking around at, 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 at independent labels when I started listening to music. I mean, Epitaph had a ton of bands, but it was like, there, there weren't a ton of bands, you know what I mean? There weren't a ton of active bands. Like you could name the bands that were touring and that, that were functional national acts that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, now, it's just like there's so many. There's, I, I feel like there are less labels, but there's more bands. And, and I just also, it's just kind of kids have the, a different mentality. It's a different, 
it's a, it's a boom, 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 boom. Instead of just, I like this band. I love this band. I'm going to support this band. I'm always going to listen to this band. They're like, I like this band. They're all right. I like this band. So how does a band like yours that's been around for a little while stay relevant? You just keep doing what you're doing and you surround yourself with relevant bands and you also let people know that you're like getting involved with talking about what's going on in the music scene or whatever now is important because it gives people a sense that I know what's going on that I'm not that sets as fail isn't some band that put out records years ago. They're an actual band that's currently active and participating in the music scene, whether or not it's all positive things they're saying or whatever, but it's right. still, they're there and, and, and it represents a different side. You know, it's like, it represents a whole different, it's like, there's all these new bands. And then there's like, Dude from Bayside likes to talk shit about people because he's upset that the music scene isn't the way it was anymore. So does Buddy from Senses Fail, you know? Like, it's kind of puts a, an aspect over here of that there is some... It polarizes people. I think you have to constantly... I think Jesse Lacey said this in his new record. You constantly have to... About his new record. You constantly have to polarize people. You have to. That's the only way you can 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 be continually be successful as a musician is to polarize people through your through your music and and through your live show and through your identity as a band i think that bands should have identities i don't think that they should just be um, i think you need the band to have like a life to it that the name and that there's an, an um a i think if you know you think of bayside and and you think you think about certain things you know mm-hmm. You think about, you know, their drummer dying and you think about these things and you think that Anthony's always saying something about someone and that, you know, you think you, you, you have a feeling about that band. It's something that it's real life that they've been through and they have this identity. I think that bands need to have an identity for them to continue to be successful. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think a lot of bands, newer bands, I mean, they're just not going to have that identity. They just. Just, just, I, mean, a lot of, I don't think that they have strong-willed people in their bands and mm. interested in having any opinion, you know? Just being in a band and having an opinion is important or else you're just like everybody else. So how do you not, and Anthony, um, <laughs> how do you guys not end up being, where you take that, you know, we're going to put up the... the the police tape on warp tour and have our buses over here. And, I didn't do that. Well, I'm just saying, how do you not end up becoming bitter so that when you mm. go on stage, the audience is coming away going, that guy's bitter. I try. I try really, and... I try really hard. Cause I've seen a million dudes in punk bands just be the most bitter, terrible people. I try to not be bitter. I try to be bitter by, I try to take that bitterness and and getting more aggressive and passionate about the actual performance. You know what I mean? And when I when I say something negative, I try to say it in a very forceful uh positive way that's that that's not joking or or you know what I mean? I either say yeah. it in a very joking way or a very serious way. So it's not kind of this like gray area. Is he being serious or is he joking? Like you know what I mean? Right, right, right. right. But I, I take all that anger and I put it in into the performance. So you get this weird sort of vibe. Almost, it's like, wow, this is weird. <laughs> it's very aggressive. So, so it, it, it 
is there any part of the, is there any part of a, like a, a, let me say this. Um, with the music industry the way it is, do you feel like your best days are ahead of you? I don't know. I, it all depends on what kind of record we write. Because you're tour managing yourself, <laughs> right? Yeah. And you, and right, and you, and you, there's a great piece that you, you talked about one time about like how young bands, they start making some money and then they blow it all with hiring too many staff people. Yeah, we've done it. We've done that. We've totally done that. I mean, we didn't blow it all, but you spend a lot of money on just trying and being lazy. Like, give me an example. Uh, a drum like, techs, uh, a lighting guy. It's ridiculous. Nobody cares about lights. No one cares about lights at a club show. Maybe if you're putting on a whole thing at, a, at an arena, then maybe lights are important. But then you'll have enough money to spend on the lights. You don't need lights. So who are the expendables? Lights guy? Light, light guy. Uh, you, you always need a sound guy. I think the sound guy is the most important thing because he's the one presenting you to the audience. You don't want to deal with like the guy's grandfather that's running the board. Yeah, no. Like, I mean, you, that, that make or break. Sometimes people go to shows and go, that band sounds like shit. And it, they played fine. It just sounded, it was mixed terribly, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I, I think drum techs, dude. Don't ever get your drummer drum tech, or hopefully he's just going to have a panic attack when they leave. It's just going to—I don't know—I oh, can't. Oh my god, I can't set up my drums again. And, and the thing with the drum tech is, the drummer ends up setting up the drums and fucking around with them because that's all drummers do—is hit shit all day long and messing around. So you have a drum tech that doesn't even do anything because the drummer's there hitting his stuff, messing with it, and doing his own drum teching. And then, I mean. I, I know a lot of people who have a personal assistant. I know a lot of bands. Um, the security guard, too, is a number. You know, if you play in a band and a lot of girls like you, like... Security guard. Yeah, like Gabe Sporta does not need a security guard. You're, <laughs> I, I mean, people do get attacked. I think it's funny. Though. People do. I mean, uh, uh, Max was just here the other Gabe's day. Gabe's a big a girl dude. Took a, good, good, a girl took his wedding ring right off of his hand. Uh, Gabe's a big dude. He can beat someone up. <laughs> Tall. I know he's. I don't know if he can be anybody, big. Up, but he's tall. Um, no, I heard about that. You know what? I don't know. You know what? Maybe I don't know. I don't. I don't know enough about what. I just thought that was funny that game had. <laughs> so, uh, so where to? Um, that he did get that. I, kids and girls. I mean, I, I don't put up with that stuff, and I don't enjoy it, and I reprimand people when they do do that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that people know that I don't tolerate that. So, but if if that's built into the hysteria of your band, you know, it's kind of like you learn from, oh, you go to the show and you see a bunch of girls running after them, then then girls are going to go, well, that's what happens. That's what I, you know what I mean? It's like, you, I think you can stop that. If you, every time some girl gets too overexcited to meet me, I get really, I don't know. I get really mad. Really? Yeah. I don't think that anybody should put people in bands on a pedestal or think that they're more important than themselves. I don't think that because they're in a band makes you any better than anyone else. And I understand looking up to people in bands and admiring their work, but that doesn't mean they're good people or better people than you or more important people than you. And I don't like the idea that I don't like the idea of people that don't treat me just like a normal person. I don't want that. I don't want you to freak out and go nuts and cry. I want you to just say hi to me like I'm a normal person. I don't want to be anything but some dude who plays music. And I don't want you to think that I'm anything but that because I'm not. Even if you appreciate 
everything we do. I'm here for 50% you and 50% me. So it's like just, I don't want to be chased by girls. I would never allow that to happen. It would never happen. I wouldn't tolerate that. I'd make sure that in every interview and on stage, I said that that's completely unacceptable for girls. I say it on stage a lot. It's completely unacceptable for, I mean, I always, girls at shows used used to be, there was, you, you, I always looked at, you don't have sex with girls on tour. You know, if it happens, it happens, but it's not something you overindulge in and go looking for, you know, stuff happens. It's life, you know, things happen. Blah, 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 blah. But there are people that like active, that is their deal. Like, and that girls are into that. And I, I, I always tell them, the gr- don't, don't be into that. Like, don't be, have some pride in yourself. Like, don't, don't associate with guys in bands. Like, in that way. Yeah. Like, don't want to be that. I don't enjoy that. I mean, when I was young, things would happen when I didn't have a girlfriend. I was, you know, really young. It, it would happen, but, it's just something that I, we never really tolerated. It's just like don't you know don't be bringing underage chicks around. Like that happens a lot, more so than you'd imagine. Like a lot, like that that I've been around on tour, especially Warp Tour, seeing guys with girls that are way too young, bringing them backstage. Just like you know what I mean. Like I don't know, encouraging girls to take their shirts off on stage. It's just like. You're not in a hair metal band. If you want to be, go somewhere else. That's what I almost think. But I, I have a problem with that. And I know I've been guilty of, I can't say I've been told saint, but I do think it's important to realize the responsibility that you have from being in a band as a guy, as a group of guys, that you have a responsibility. And while, like I said, I've, you know, I've, done things but i think you get older and i think you need to make sure the whole deal is you don't know anything about touring until some older band slaps you in the face and says here's the deal this is how it works you know and band many bands have done that to us and that's the only reason i know how to deal with things and do things you know what i mean trial and error yeah and it's the same thing i mean younger bands have to know that like you can't do that stuff it gives you a terrible reputation Terrible reputation, even with promote with, with local promoters, with other bands, you know. So it's something you have to be really careful about, and something that I, I, I it does happen. But I don't want girls to actively seek attention from somebody. In a, I think it's gross, and I think it's demeaning. Two things were done. One, your fans are going to be interested to know. Side project. Mm-hmm. I saw a, the name potential fight thrown out there, <laughs> and then there is an actual site for bayonet. Yes. So, what is the deal with either of those? Are they the same thing? Uh, it's called bayonet. Okay. So, yeah. potential fight is bayonet. Yeah. Okay. It's called bayonet. Just uh, dude who used to be in this band called Welcome Home Travis, which is a Jer- Jersey band. He was also in the Banner too for a little bit. It's him and I, uh, a couple other Jersey guys. Uh, this guy Will, who works at Machine Shop, is playing bass. Um, he was an engineer on the Haste of Day record I saw. On. Yeah. So, I don't know, just writing straight. I just want to, I want to play music. What kind of stuff? I mean, it's just hard. It's just straight. Really? It sounds like tragedy. It sounds like American Nightmare. It's kind of darker. Um, 
just very dark, like really dark lyric, really dark and fast and heavy. And um, I just want to play music and not care how many people show. I you get in the band and you uh, what what I've been having trouble with lately. What we have all is is your self worth being directly affected by how successful your band is, and that's something that's a problem that I've felt that 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 I want to separate myself from. I I'm not a better or worse person because of how many people show up to show, but you get so wrapped up into that. It's like, man, there's only going to be 200 people here. It's like an 800 cap room. Like I failed. I, 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 I failed, you know, I failed. I failed selling records. I failed doing this and you manage your self-worth on your success. And that's when music becomes, if you don't catch yourself, you just become jaded and you break up. And like, that's one thing we constantly, I constantly am trying to do over the last year where things have changed and gone down and up and everything is not to evaluate my self-worth based on the success of the band. And that's I, with Bayonet. I don't want to care how many people are there. I don't want it. I'm not, I don't care if anybody listens. I'm doing it to bring back the same feeling I had when census fail started. Like I want to play in people's basements. I want to stay at people's houses. I want cool. there to be a hundred people there. I don't care. You know, we're going to put it on vinyl. That's it's going to be a whole, wow. just, that's it. You know, it's, there's nothing to it. It's just music and there's no pressure at all. When do you think that anything will, it's already, the, we have an EP. It's already recorded. We're just trying to find someone to put it out. So are oh, you not going to just put it out yourself? Um, I want to, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know what we're going to do. I, I want to put it out on vinyl. I want to do. We're I think we're going to do a ten. We're going to do ten inch and like download card. I don't think we're okay. We don't think we're going to try to put it on iTunes. I want people to have the experience of trying to find a record. All right. So last question: What's the future for the band now? What's the your fans are going to wonder? Like it's you know it's been a little while since the last record. So now what? Well, you just I mean go write another record and record it. And it probably comes out next October, and then we, but you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, this thing, sh- things are going to change a little bit. Mm. Um, but how's um, like what business wise or just biz- you know who knows what's who knows what is going to happen with everything, where we where we are, where we're going musically, uh, music industry wise, just kind right. of like I, I would expect another record out fourth quarter next year. That's what the goal is. I mean, the thing is, I think. Are you excited by what's going on in the music industry? All the changes, the. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's. Uh, eh. So is it a safe? Could it? Is it wrong to assume that you're more worried? No, I'm just kind of don't know. You know, it's kind of like gray area. I'm not excited. I actually you know what I am excited. I'm excited because you need this as a band. You need change in order to bring about hope. And okay. to bring about some sort of difference. If you could keep doing the same thing in a band, it, I guess it's, I guess it would be the same thing as working a job that you never get promoted at. You work really hard, and you never. You, there's just right. just same thing every day. You feel like you're working towards something, but if you don't end up actively getting that something, you you, you just go, I I can't do this. You know, it's that false American dream kind of. Yeah, part of exactly. Yeah. I mean. But I think that you have to change things up. Like we, that's why if you if you change your model, like I don't know, me tour manager or not having a manager, and just you kind of grab a hold of your own business and sit there and you do your own numbers and you travel and, and you can you do everything here. I think that 
I want for the first time in our in our band that the finger can't be pointed on anybody but us. Like I want to have because that's what kills bands is. Well, the record label didn't do this, and the manager didn't do this, and but we didn't write this record. It's like you're pointing, and it's your fault, and it's your fault, and it's your fault. And it'd be really simple if it was just like, oh, it's our fault. You just accept it. You accept it when you say, hey, my bad. We, you know, if we were to put out our own record and we decided to buy the back page of Alternative Press for three months to promote the record, and it didn't help, and we spent what I don't know, maybe you know, twenty thousand dollars on that. <laughs> I wish it was that much. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> fifteen, <laughs> and it didn't work. I'd go, well, sorry guys, I I thought that was going to help record sales, but it didn't. Uh, we're all working at Domino's. My bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, you know what I mean. You go, well, at least at least we tried. At least at least we had full control you know what i mean i think that if you mess up and you have full control you can only blame yourself and when you blame yourself you don't feel so bad about it because there's no mystery there's no i well that's what's so crazy about the music industry is you never know whose fault it really is or you never even know who to thank <laughs> if, you could point. you know you could uh, you could thank you guys for putting us on the cover but then you could also be like well i mean our managers are really the one who got that for you. And then our manager's like, well, I mean, or their label's like, it, it was really us, you know? And then the press guy, it's like, well, you know, it's actually me. And you're just like, dude, I, I don't know. Who, who do I blame? Who do I thank? You know, who do you fire? Who do you keep? Like, it's really easy if it's just you and it's just all your fault. The fun part is firing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, man. For coming out. And I wish you the best of luck. It sounds like it's going to be a lot of, um, you said, you know, a lot of risk taking. But yeah. change is good. Good. At least change. that's what they're saying. Yeah, I, I will. Hopefully. AP Podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Rob Bertenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is all my fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com slash Mike Shea AP. That's S-H-E-A like the stadium, AP. 